Ladies and gentlemen, we're back with Real Deal Talk. And today I've got Alicia Zimnock. And I got to tell you, Alicia, I love this name. <laughs> and I'm very proud that I can pronounce it. Because I'm actually thrilled you can pronounce it too. It's not an easy one. It's not. <laughs> it's not because it looks like Alicia. Yes. And Zimnock's just crazy in itself, but it's got a nice ring to it. Yeah, it does. It does. You know, my maiden name was even more difficult, McCullough. McCullough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but with wow. a bunch of yeah. extra letters in there. Mm-hmm. Wow. So so in, before we get into this real quick, I'm going to get a real quick word. I'm doing this the last two episodes, the word oh. from our sponsor, because I realized, Alicia, that here I am an entire year doing this and I haven't announced our sponsor once because I was just, what am I thinking? It's, I know, it's our own company, Real Deal <laughs> Sleep, our own mattress, family yes. business, Real Deal Mattress, Real Deal Sleep, which turned into Real Deal Sleep. Um, it was just paying the bills, which is paying for this beautiful studio. Mm-hmm. It fronts everything. My amazing, uh, very, very expensive film crew, <laughs> but they're the best in the business. Oh, so yeah. it's, 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 uh, the best money I ever spent. <clears throat> but anyway, a, a real deal sleep. If you're in, and by the way, um, first and foremost, I want to thank everybody watching the show, listening to the show. You, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that, how much it means to me when people pull me aside and say, I saw an episode and it made a difference in my life. So I want to tell you guys from the bottom of my heart, I thank you so much. But if you're, you know, if you want to support the show, be, uh, besides subscribing to all of the platforms, hit me with a review. Hit me with a. Re- I know it's tough these delicious, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody can actually a like is even hard at this point, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But actually writing something mm-hmm. is so difficult. So I get the challenge. I, I feel your. I feel the pain. The struggle is real. But if you can hit me for 60 seconds on a review, do it. And also, uh, if you want a mattress or know someone needs a mattress, come to Real Deal Sleep because that's actually how you really directly support the show by financially. So there you go. Real Deal Sleep, their sponsor. Thank you so much once again, guys. And now back to Alicia Zimnock. I just wanted to say that again. <laughs> You're doing great. All right. So Alicia, <laughs> you and I have known each other um, about, is it about a year, you Probably, think? Probably, yeah. So about a year. I met Alicia. Um, I was in the Pathfinder program. And uh, at, at Awaken Church, of course, everybody knows that's the common theme here. Most of my guests are somehow uh, intertwined with a, a um, Awaken Church. And she came in and she, we had a, they said we're having a public speaking like symposium kind of thing for a couple mm-hmm. hours. And I'm like, I'm all over that. And it was Alicia. And um, and I'm looking at her, you know, and I, I don't think I had met, I think I'd heard of you, but mm-hmm. I don't think I had met you at that mm-hmm. point. And, and I'm always, because I'm fascinated by speakers. Like mm-hmm. when people are on stages, all the, like when, when the pastors are speaking, mm-hmm. even when the people are doing the message on the beginning, the prayer, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So I'm fascinated because I love watching good speakers. And I was like, like, I couldn't wait to see, like, is this woman legit? Like, mm-hmm. is she going to teach us something here? And man, I'll tell you what, you are phenomenal. I was blown away that night. And then you blew me away again when you came in and spoke for our class. Because mm. in, in the Pathfinder program, we have every Tuesday night, we have speakers. And Alicia has been our speaker twice, right? Twice right. for my class. Yeah. And each time, I'm telling you, it was literally one of the best classes in each semester oh. that I've been a part of. And you, I don't know, did you see the video I put up with you with a vanilla ice? Did you see it? I didn't see You didn't it. see this yet? Oh, shoot. Oh, I got to see even, it. Even, yeah. even Randy commented. Oh, really? <laughs> Randy, by the way, is her uh, husband. Yeah. Uh, Randy Zimnock. All right, I want to say it again. All right, so yeah, yeah, I put you. I That's did a, so funny. 
funny. I did a compilation Shoot, of you. I need to see it. Of I did all these um, uh, boomerangs. <laughs> I did yeah. all these boomerangs in a row. Oh, that's great. And I put it to Vanilla Ice, Ice oh, Ice Baby. So it's funny. so funny. <laughs> I gotta see. Go it. to Real yeah. Deal JD, guys, and look at look back. You'll see her standing oh, there, and she so did, there's like funny. ten in a row, yeah. <laughs> and it's to Vanilla Ice. Oh, that's great. And what I did in the in the context of it, I said, listen, it, it, the if you want to draw in, pull in your audience. And engage, get an engage your audience when you're public speaking. You got to be animated. Mm-hmm. You got to move around right. a little bit. You got to animate. And there's nobody that I've seen speak that um, that example puts exemplifies mm. that because you what you got to see this because you were right. literally over here, over here, oh, no. over here, over here. You were dancing. You were doing this. You were doing that. <laughs> I know. I have fun with it. It's like I feel like I'm performing. I feel like yeah. a like a dancer again, you know, when I'm on stage. Yeah. And on that note, and on that note, what the uh, Alicia's background is you were a, you were in beauty pageants, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And we're, we're going to get into that story, but yeah. I, wanna, I just want to get a little bit teaser for everybody here. And what it turned into was a very cool niche business, yes. um, which is now it's called Win a Pageant. Mm-hmm. So she helps women that are going into beauty pageants. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. So, and again, we're going to come back full circle and dig deep into yeah. that because I'm fascinated by that alone. We're fascinated by the fact that you've got uh, one child you got, and you, can we announce it? Yeah. And another one on the way. <laughs> yes. She's got a little, little tiny, little, little teeny, yeah. tiny, little baby, <laughs> baby f- uh, bump. percolating in there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, simmering nicely at this point. Uh-huh. So real deal talk. The first time that it's publicly announced to the, to the <laughs> you world. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. Real deal talk. <laughs> Zimnox that's times right. two. Actually that's times right. four now. That's right. All right. So, all right, Alicia. All right. So now let's go back. Um, where were you born and raised? A small town in Pennsylvania, mm. Cochranton. And this, it was... Looking back on, I mean, at the time being raised in a little tiny town, I thought, oh, this is like, come on, there's a big world out there, you know? And you even thought that when you were young? Yes, hmm. yes. I like, I, I remember when I, I mean, I, I think, you know, I always knew that there was something greater that God was calling me to mm. in terms of influence and in terms of impact. And so in my small town, you know, I, I graduated with under 70 students in my graduating class. So it wasn't, you know, I know there's a lot of other people from much smaller towns, yeah. but for me, it felt um, like, gosh, where are the opportunity? You know, like how, how am I, but I was also a big fish in a small sea. Mm. And so became, I grew a lot of great confidence from, you know, being on the cheerleading team and being one of the best on the, you know, 12 of us or whatever, you know, and then um, competing in my first pageant and sort of accidentally winning just because, you know, it was just like somebody was going to have to win and it kind of shook out and it was me. And so growing up in this small town, my dad, his family line had tons of land and um, really like kind of owned the town with the land that, that they had. And so my, you know, grandma lived across the pond and, you know, across the street from us was my uncle. And then across the road from him was our cousin and then up the road. from, And we kind of lived on this hill in, uh, you know, with tons and tons of acreage and really a beautiful looking back now, realizing that is what allowed me to flourish mm. and to develop the confidence that I was going to then need for, you know, the things that yeah. I now do. So, And yeah. so, so you said that you realized that you wanted to make an impact. Like at what age did that come to you? Well, I, I think it was <clears throat> a 
more of a um okay so i was a middle child okay yeah and you know you may have been you may be familiar with yeah there were there were three of us in my the family i grew up in and then i have an older sister from my dad's first marriage but she didn't live with us regularly so i was the middle child of the three of us that grew up together and um, there's a, there's, you know, psychologists may say that there's like this middle child syndrome where they tend to be like the performer and the wanting the attention and yeah. sort of, they're not the oldest, they're not the youngest. And, and I, I had that, you know, I was, I, I was attracted to a microphone and I always wanted to be on stage and be a dancer and things like that. And at about age nine, I wrote a letter to Hollywood, like dear Hollywood, <laughs> Kind of sharing my, you know, best hits. Like, oh, I, I, I've been dancing since I was three years old. You know, I've got six years of dance experience, and you know, I, I'm able to fake an English accent. You know, and like things like this. That you know, I wanted to be a star, and so, I, you know, I don't even know how I sent this letter to where, but of course, they never wrote back. But uh, yeah. it was, it was at that age that I was like, I want, and I had sort of a wanderlust for. Los Angeles mm. and for Hollywood and for the stars and things like that. And of course, now um, I do not, <laughs> you know, yeah. through a series of events that led me to LA yeah. and, and on beyond it. But yeah, so it from a young age, I, I just wanted to be on stage and, and wanted to be sort of in the limelight. And, and at the time, it was, I believe, a... Um, selfish desire but now i think god god planted that to allow me to chase what the skill set that he needed me to gather in order to be able to have the impact that i'm able to have now and so let me ask you this did you have you must have had somebody that you aspired to be or that inspired you like what made you did you see somebody on tv that was a dancer an actress were you into movies like what how did you how did you talk shows talk shows yes i was really into when i was a kid rosie o'donnell was like the big talk show host at that time that i that i recall yeah yeah and um and i i remember and i and i had a film that I made. So, you know, we had an old, one of those old cameras that you would put a VHS tape in and close it and then hit the record button. And and I think you had to hit record and play at the same yes. time or something like this. <laughs> That's right. And anyway, so I set up this camera and uh, pretended I was interviewing myself. And so I'd sit on one side and I was the host and I would like, you know, interview myself. And I was probably... This was probably around that same age, like under 10, I would say. And then I would hop to the other chair and I would put a boa around my neck and I would have my English accent and I would answer the question as though I was now the guest. And then I'd take the boa off and I'd sit on the other side and and, and I had this videotape of myself doing this. And uh, shortly after that, my family, and it was was just play. I was playing. I was just a kid and that's how I was playing. And then um, shortly after, my family found the videotape, and they're you know because they're so probably they looking know. for a free tape. Like what are yeah. what tape can we record the next event over whatever you know family outing or something? And so they played this, and I remember walking into the living room while they're playing this film, and they're giggling at it. And now I know it's, it was so cute. I'm yeah. sure you know it was like, oh my gosh, look at what she's doing. This is hilarious. Unless she's even like acting this whole thing out. Oh, there's her English accent. But at the time, it felt like they were laughing at me. Ah. 
And so it sort of stole the dream a bit. Really? Mm-hmm. And it kind of like made me feel like, and I, and so I took the tape and recorded over it because wow. I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed that I, and you know, it was play, it was yeah. exploration. It was just me kind of like having fun and, and pursuing, you know, it's like version one of anything that we ever do. Version one is not our best thing, yeah. you know? And yeah. so it's just version one. We're just practicing, we're playing. But I felt exposed and I felt like, oh my gosh, they're like seeing this piece of me. And so I kind of like hit it and was like, you know, never mind, never mind. That's the, I'll do something else then, you know? So did, think, but didn't they tell you like, that was so cute. Oh, we loved course, it. Of course. But you know, a kid's mind, you, yeah. you're fragile and it was a dream. It was, and it was in its infancy, yeah. you know, the, a dream in its infancy is easiest to kill. Anything in its yeah. infancy is easy to kill right. because it's it doesn't have any strength, you know? Yeah. And so at that time, that's that's where it was at for me. So yes, now looking back, of course, I know they were like, no, honey, it's cute. It's, look, you did such a great job. But walking into the room and seeing my family members sort of giggling at it, the initial reaction was, oh my gosh, like they... They're laughing at me. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can, can you imagine if we still had that tape? I know. I want it now we, so badly. It's probably hilarious. But yeah. would we even be able to play it? Like, I mean, on a VHS, who knows? <laughs> isn't it yeah. crazy? Like, like, all things um, have changed. So, and, and so talk shows. That's where it was. Yeah. It wasn't like, you, were you movie buff? Did you no. like, no. I, I don't even remember like what movies I ever watched as a kid. It was mostly talk shows. And so I'm sure I saw, you know, like, the, you know, movie clips that they may show, you know, I'm sure they were interviewing at yeah. that time. They weren't interviewing TikTok stars, you know, they were interviewing right. movie stars. True. And so, you know, that was, I'm sure the thing that I, I was probably seeing pieces of that and I connected it that, oh, there, you know, and, and then the red carpet, yeah. you know, for the, the awards shows, things like that. So I think that was more of the draw. And, and so you, and you, you've mentioned a few times that God was guiding you here. God was guiding you yeah. there. So I'm going to assume here, but let me, you know, let's, yeah. let's, let's dig a little bit deep on this here. Your family, your parents um, mm -hmm. were Christians from day one. You grew up in a Christian household. Yes. You were in church every Sunday. Yes. Give me that scenario. Yeah, it was. My dad was a great spiritual leader and my mom had grown up with a, a little bit more of a religious background, okay. but also knowing Christ. Yeah. And so, and when I say religious, meaning like there were a lot more rules around the engagement with Christianity. Yep. So you would dress up for church and things like that, but it was a rule-based thing. Got it. My dad um, was... A, a, phenomenal in in terms of how he internalized biblical principles and so he would he would read the word it would come to life to him and he would personalize it and then share it with us in ways that hmm. made sense you know and so i think that that helped my mom grow into the woman that that she became and probably was even before i met her you know um or or knew her as uh child even, you know? Yeah. And, um, but yes, I'm so, so grateful for that upbringing because it set a standard of what was right and wrong. It set a precedent for how I would see myself as a, um, a, an achievement. Um, I think it helped me to see like, this is the standard. This yeah. is what you will do. And so for, for instance, 
when we were young, yes, we went to church every week, but not because, oh, you got to go to church, you got to church, but really because like we were home and when we're home, we're going to go to church and that's just what you do. It wasn't so religious that when we went on vacation, it wasn't like my family was like, oh, now we're on vacation. We have to find a church around here because this is what we do. But, you know, we didn't do that. Instead, we were just like, we wanted to stay plugged into our community and we knew that it was important to be planted in a church community. And I'm so grateful for that. And I remember my dad would make us dress up, but not as a, you have to dress up to go to church, but out of respect. Mm. This is God's house we're going to. We're going to dress up because we're out of respect for God. Just like if you're going to go to grandma's 90th birthday party, you're going to dress up out of respect for grandma. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did you go to regular public schools, Christian schools? Public school, yep. Small town, public school, yep. So we did, but my community was very much a Christian community. Oh, really? And so it was, thank goodness, many of us, you know, almost everybody in our community went to a church. You know, maybe there were three or four churches probably in our town, and everybody pretty much went to one of them or felt associated in some way with one of them. Uh, my church had a big youth group, and so a lot of kids would come. Even if they didn't go to church on Sunday, they would often come to the Wednesday night youth group and things like that. Got it. And now um, you had mentioned, uh, and forgive me here because I'm trying to get yeah. the details of you had a, you had a sister. Yep, from, older sister, and then older older sister from my dad's first marriage. From his okay, from his first marriage. Yeah. Got it. Okay, so when he came into your mom's life, uh huh, he had a daughter. That's right. It was still little. I think she was still little at the time, maybe under five even. And I'm assuming she was going back and forth between the... That's right. Okay, got it. it. And so then you, uh, with your mom and your dad, were they together the whole time? Yes. Great relationship. Beautiful. Set a good example. Very much. Talk to me about the relationship that your parents that kind of had an impact on you. Yeah. So they, um, they had a beautiful marriage. It was not perfect. And that's what I like about Mm. it. Because it helped us to see, I think as kids, we saw, you know, when you're like little, little, your parents are everything, you know, your dad is no one's stronger than your own dad, you know, no one solves problems like mom, you know, nobody can give a hug like, you know, it's like they are everything. And as we grew until probably like junior high, high school, we started to realize like, oh, they are actually human. Like they have actual flaws that they're working through as well. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to see those flaws in them because they worked them out. And I think that a lot of times there's a, I hear a lot of stories from others who either they, their parents put on sort of a show mm. that they were not, that no person is perfect, right? So like right. they're, they're either putting on a show of like, well, we have to like make this look good for the kids. Like we have to at least, yeah. you know, for the kids, for the kids. And then I have a, I have a friend in particular who went her whole life thinking her family was just the, you know, delight, most delightful, whatever. And then as soon as she went to college, they got a divorce and she wow. was shocked. And here they'd had all kinds of problems that they'd been hiding yeah. from their kids and weren't working through it. And my mom and dad, again, not perfect by any means, but loved Jesus like so much that they were going to work on it. And Mm. they were like, we are figuring this out. Like this, they would go through tough seasons and then figure it out. And so I loved being able to witness that and being able to watch it because it's serving me now in my own marriage, you know? Yeah. 
but yeah, so that was that was definitely. I'm so grateful for that. That they, you know, we would like even like little things. You know, um, we would be on vacation or something, and then there would be a tiff. But we'd be staying in a pop up camper, and so it's like you got to figure this tiff out before we all get back <laughs> in this pop up camper. You know, and they would. You know, so it was things like that that was just. It was a beautiful witness of what God is actually doing to heal two people as they walk together. And so I'm really glad that you brought that up because this this is something that's um, come to me and Rach, my wife, Rachel, recently when we went to the marriage getaway with the church. Mm-hmm. And and I love what the message that's happening lately. And I just heard it recently. Who I don't remember who was saying it or preach, uh, one of the uh, pastors, but just what you just said. We all think that maybe, okay, let's not argue in front of the kids. Mm. Let's not be angry in front of the kids. And it's actually, no, 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 no. It's actually okay as right. long as you work it out. Yes. Because then you're showing them that, hey, arguments can happen, disagreements, but then we work it out. Yes. Right? That's right. Yeah. And that you just said it again. Yeah. And the- yeah, because there, there's a difference when two people are fighting in, you know, like in a marital situation and the they are not fighting fair. And I think that's what you don't want the kids to see. Yeah. Because and you don't want to do that even. No one wants to do that. Because no one wants to be fought unfairly, you right. know, in terms of like meaning like name calling yeah. or dragging up stuff from the past or whatever, you know. But I think that there is a fair way to disagree, even had even having heated conversation. And work it out. And if if both parties are willing to say, I want to see your side, but I also want you to see my side. And then you can share those two things and then come together and say, okay, we're in this together. So now how do we take each of our sides and each of our value systems and the things we, and now how do we blend that together? And I think what, what we don't want others to see and that we don't want to do is to do the fighting unfairly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's. I'm laughing over here as you're speaking. I'm yeah. laughing because I'm thinking about arguments that Rachel and I have yeah. gotten into, yeah. and because I'm at I'm at the point where I don't want to go into the other room. Like yeah. I'm sitting here at the kitchen counter. <laughs> let's just hash. Let's just get the kids <laughs> yeah. are here. So what? Yeah. I'm yeah. Gonna, we're gonna yell a little bit, and because uh, I'm laughing thinking about yeah. it. Like I, like I, do we really want to stop this? Go in another room. Right. Right. <laughs> and then and then Jack will be like, Daddy, what were you guys yelling? Why were you guys yelling at each other? Yeah. I'll think. No, we just had a disagreement, and now right. we worked it out. That's right. Oh, okay. You know yep. what I mean? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And it, and I think it does make kids still feel so, and and again, ages of children probably yeah. matters a lot yeah. too, you know. Um uh, you know, a 3-year-old's going to react very differently than a 12-year-old's going to react because they can reason differently, you yeah. know. Um but yeah, and the topic of course, you know, like yes. so it's not a it's not a hard, hard and fast answer, but Correct. but I do think that there is it's not a necessity to like exactly like you said to like leave the room and then come back and just feel like everything's hunky dory. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as it's not too like exactly. you said, the, the, the topic matters. The topic matters. matters. The, That's right. Yeah, the words that are coming out. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> so we don't want to get too crazy here right. in front of the kids. Right. Um, right. All right. So let's get back here. Now, give me uh, any stories that you can tell me from like grade school, high school that had an impact on you. That maybe your first time mm-hmm. like being a cheerleader, the first time on a stage, the first time on a. Um, um, where you felt a, like a big moment in your life where you mm. gained the most confidence, like something that happened, mm. like an event when you were a kid that just gave yeah. you so much confidence. And then, you know what? I mean, I'm going to move forward with this dream. Yeah. Okay. So I've got a great one. Actually. Oh, good. That's uh, kind of long, but I think we've okay. got lots of time. We got time. Yeah. <laughs> My so, are like, here we go. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so when I was in 
elementary school, I I started dancing when I was like three years old. And um, my sister, who was 15 months older than me, was, I kind of just followed in her shadow. So my mom was like, I'm going to put my girls in dance. My sister was probably four and I was maybe almost three or something. And so it was like, well, we just did things together. So she let me go to the dance class too. And and I loved it. And then I continued dancing, ballet, tap, jazz, kind of the, the usual things all the way through. And about seventh grade, I, I, I realized all my friends from school were not in my dance class. They mm. were in sports. And I was like, oh, I really want to like, you know, in seventh grade, you're trying yeah. to figure your life right. out, trying to be cool and stuff and wanting community. And so I said, I'm going to stop dance for my seventh grade year and I'm going to do basketball with my friends. And I was a totally terrible basketball player, but I loved it. It was fun because it was with my friends and it was, it was just, but I realized they were taking basketball because it was their thing. It was very serious to them. They wanted to win. They wanted to, you know, they wanted to be serious and practice and stuff. And for me, it was more of like, that's how I felt about dance. But for me, basketball was just like the fun, like, let me just try this for a year, you know? So anyway, I wasn't great at it. I really didn't care to be great at it, but... Um, I, I just enjoyed it while I was in it. Well, so then the next year, I said, I, okay, I was tr- I'm going to try to do both. So I went back into some of my dance classes, stuck with the, the thing, added volleyball. I think I started doing volleyball around like ninth grade or something. In 10th grade, I was no longer doing basketball because they at some point along the way, they asked me to like be the treasurer They because I was so bad. They yeah. were like, we need to give her some position here. Like so she stays on the what team. What on the team? She'll be the treasurer. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, sure i'll be the treasurer because i didn't the care treasure. you know oh i did not God. care so so anyway i go back to my dance world i'm having a great time so in about i believe it was 10th grade so in ninth grade i was a starter on the volleyball team because mm. i was tall i was strong because i was a dancer um i again really was like wow you guys are taking this a little too serious here you yeah. know but I, I played it was fun and then in 10th grade there was a girl who was a ninth grader who came up who was phenomenal this girl was fun she was a absolute athlete from like day one and she was spectacular so she took my place in starting and then I basically didn't play at all and again I didn't care but a lot of the other players would have cared very much if that had been them I was just I just wanted to be on the I just want to be on the bus rides and play at the practice and I just kind of wanted to be involved well it happened where there was a there was a game that was between my high school, our team, and our high school rivals. Mm. And my the team that I was on was phenomenal. They would go to states. They would they would win states some years. Our volleyball team, uh, state championships. And so this this particular year, where I was not a starter, I hardly played in any games at all. Maybe they would stick me in if they just needed to give somebody a break in the back or something. Yeah, you know? it was very rare. Well, so. Um, the, there was a girl on the opposing team who, and I, I forget what they called her now, but it was something like the beast yeah, or something yeah. like this chick was like built like a brick wall, strong and her serve would come in and like crush you, you know, it was like unbelievable. And, um, during a, uh, game cha- or like a match change, my coach accidentally put my number oh, in to play instead of the good ninth grader. Oh, no. And so I'm cold on the bench. I've been sitting here for matches, match after match after match. You know, it's like it's like neck and neck, and here we are. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And again, like, I, I, I <laughs> didn't want it bad enough. So, like, I should not have been on the floor. And uh, 
she accidentally puts me in and with regret I see her be like wait no like she had already turned in the slip of who her starters were so I had to get in to start the game oh gosh and uh she looks at me and gives me this like disappointed like okay get in there like you just have to and and I knew in her head as soon as the play went she would pull me out yeah and I would be glad about that I'd be I didn't want to play about that I didn't get this girl like i'm like holy cow okay so this girl <laughs> fires up a serve oh no the volley goes from our side back to her side now i'm playing in like against the net in the front on the left hand side and i was against the girl who she would always hit she would hit and she would hit like right down the line yes. and it was like yeah. fierce you like know fireball yes and so she i'm like well, whatever. Here I am. I'm cold off the bench. I gotta just like pretend like I know what I'm doing here. I guess. So I the so she serves the ball goes to our side. It goes back to their side, and I'm like basically supposed to block now. So I'm like, well, whatever. So I closed my eyes and jumped as high as I could with my hands in the yeah. perfect wide position as best as like with my eyes closed. This girl hit it into my hands and I blocked it. Oh my god! And gosh. I was, and literally the crowd, and I mean, you know, the crowd, it was a small little high yeah. school town, but it felt like it was the, I felt like I was in the Olympics, you know, like it was like, ah, they were all like so excited. My coach was like jaw dropped, like she could not believe that I did that. And so now we have the serve. So of course oh I'm like my telling god. my coach, like, okay, take me out, take me out. Take yeah, me out. She's it. like, no, no, you're on fire. You stay in, you stay in. And I was like, what? Like, no. Anyway, so the next volley, I screwed something up and she finally <laughs> pulled me out. But I was like, but that one moment, I yeah. was like, this is great. You know, it was so funny. Oh my gosh. So, but was I the other learned, girl shocked? Yeah, the whole place was shocked because they were like, this girl's an accident coming in here. <laughs> so after that, she started tipping over me because I think she thought like, oh, like maybe you're she's this a massive secret weapon. <laughs> Yes. Oh my gosh. I think I just probably jumped crooked or something. I don't know. I had my eyes closed. I have no idea what happened. But uh, anyway, it was such a funny, it was a funny moment because what I realized then is that <laughs> The confidence that I lacked was made up for in the simple, like, dumb bliss of, like, Alicia, just close your eyes and jump. And mm. I thought, you know what? If we approached things that were scary with instead of saying, no, coach, take me out. Oh, I twisted my ankle. I got to get out of here. But instead it with... Just close your eyes and jump. Yeah. Just imagine what could happen, yeah. you know? Even in a thing that you just like, you know, really, I I could not have cared any less, but I felt embarrassed because I wasn't supposed to be in the game. Everybody knew it. It was kind of like, oh, you know, but I just thought like, what a cool little God wink that he's like, look, girl, I got you. Like, you could have your little moment and, oh my you know, so then later, uh, I believe it was even later in that season or maybe it was a, a, a future season. Where at my dance uh, academy, I had an opportunity to become an instructor while I was in high school teaching hip-hop dance classes. Wow. And so I ended up in in the beginning of a season, I had to tell my volleyball coach, you know, hey, I'm, I'm not going to finish the season. I'm going to take this other opportunity where I can teach classes on Saturday mornings so I wouldn't be able to make practices and I'm going to have to choreograph and all this stuff. So I, I won't be able to do it. And I remember her disappointment wow. was similar to the disappointment that she had in her face about me when she accidentally yeah. stuck me in yeah. the game. And it did not bother me at all because I was like, you know what? This, 
her when it did when she put me in the game yeah. and I wasn't supposed to be there it made me so sad cuz I you know you want to you want to make your coach happy you want to yeah. perform you want to you know you don't want to be the disappointment and I felt like this is I didn't even do this you made this mistake I'm not you know and but so then it felt so good to be able to tell her hey look I'm going to chase this dream I have this huge opportunity and instead of her being like wow Alicia yes like I would tap dance and practice and stuff and I was not a volleyball player like at all yeah. And so instead of her saying, wow, Alicia, like, this is awesome for you. You should go pursue that. Like, yeah. this, I was not going to volleyball, like, scholarship or something. You know, this was a great opportunity for me. But her dis- the look of disappointment on her face, and it made me feel like, you know what? That look of disappointment is something I will see many times in my life. And I can't let it bother me. I can't let it be the thing that makes me change my actions or my attitude. And I remember just very confidently being like, well, this is how it is. So she tried to talk me into staying. Really? And I do not know why. I, yeah. I honestly have well, no what, idea why. That was my next question is, <laughs> I should ask her, what was like, the disappointment? I I'd have no idea why. I don't know if she needed a certain number of, of people. She needed a treasure. Yeah, she needed a treasure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, okay, let's be honest. I brought great morale to the team. I know That's that I did that. That's what I was probably yeah, so there thinking. had to have been some other, you know, value that I that I brought to the team other than on the court, you know, but... Um, Maybe it was going to make the the team un, an uneven amount, so now there won't be enough people to do the drills. <laughs> Who knows, you know? But anyway, so but it was a good, it was a great opportunity to realize, like you know, follow the thing that you know is your opportunity, and don't mm-hmm. let other people be the ones that decide that for you. Like follow your heart, right? Like yeah. if it's in your heart, follow it. Yeah, and I and I think it's like heart, and also I think that it's the your calling, mm-hmm. you know. So like I I do think that there. are are things that God places for us that aren't necessarily in our heart and yet God's still calling you mm. to it. And so you need to do that thing, you know, even if you don't think it's the thing that's going to pan out properly, but it's like if he told you to do the thing, you need to do the thing. Wow. Mm. I love that. All right, so this is high school now. Yeah. Now, what what happened to, uh, when you got was college like okay, you got to go to college where parents like okay, you got to go to college, got to do this. It was more of an assumption I would go to college. Yeah. My whole family was educated, uh, many with advanced degrees. Mm. So it was sort of like that was what you did next. Yep. And I'm still grateful for that experience um, that they that, that was an assumption because I think it would have been a really difficult decision to make at that time had it not been assumed for me. Right. And I had to decide, oh, you don't have to go. You could, you know. But honestly, I had no clue what I was even going to do. So I was like, I don't know. I'll just go be a teacher because my, my family was a family of teachers. And so I thought, well... I don't know, maybe that's what I'll do. But I ended up starting a major communications major. And um, one of the first classes that you take is radio. And I thought- and where, what, what college? Uh, Westminster College. It's a small private, uh, like Christian yeah. school in Pennsylvania. Gotcha. And so I, I and it, they have a great communications program. So that's kind of why I agreed that my dad had attended there and it was close to our home. So I thought, eh, it's a beautiful, beautiful campus. Yeah. And, lovely people. So I had a phenomenal experience, lived on campus, great friends, uh, had wonderful on-campus experience, everything. I I love, absolutely love it. You know, college is very different now. So I don't know that I would want my daughter to have a college experience, you know, because it's so different now. But for me, it was a wonderful experience. But during that time, I think I changed my main, I think I had like 15 majors. Are you serious? Yes. It was, it, I, I just, 
I wanted to try things. And the only way to get in as a freshman or a sophomore, the only way to get into the class was, you know, theater 101 was to be a theater major. And so mm. I was like, well, that all you do to change your major is you walk into the thing and you scratch off a piece of paper and you add the new one. That was it. And that was yeah. how you change your major. So every time I just wanted to take another class, I would just scratch off the major and change my major. So I did this many times, public relations, communications, um, Spanish, uh, and ended up where I ended up transferring to a state school that because I was like, this is getting very expensive. Mm. And I don't know that I'm going to end up with a degree that's going to be able to pay for all this. <laughs> right. So I, I transferred to a local a state school, Slippery Rock, and um, ended up it landed then in education because that was just it was easy. It was like going to yep. get me in and out of there fast. So that was fine. Got my undergrad degree. And then ended up going to get an advanced degree because mm. I didn't want to be a teacher <laughs> at that level. And so, but your family were all teachers. Yes. Yep. All in education. So, um, mom was a kindergarten teacher most of her career, um, even into you know, even all the way up to retirement. Yeah. My dad started as a special edu special education teacher, and then got in became administration. So was a principal and things like that. And then yeah, grandparents both teachers. Wow. And yeah, hope my grandfather was an agricultural teacher. Um, yeah. So family of teachers. And so. Um what about the, the, the L.A. dream? Because you've yeah, still been dreaming yeah. about L.A., right? Was it still going on? Yeah. So I originally, when I got into communications at this school, they they were like, you got to start in radio. That's kind of where everybody cuts their teeth. You got to ah. start in radio. And I was like, great, I can do radio. Yeah. And so every time I turned on the mic, you know, radio is basically you're like, and so, and I would do this at school, you know, that you would have like an internship or you'd play the, you know, to be the DJ from this hour to that hour at school. And so I'd, I'd like, you know, click the music and like, you know, you'd hear the music and I'd, the whole time I'd be thinking, all right, here's what I'm going to say when I get off, you know, and then, you know, you had to like read the weather or something. So then I'd get in and read the weather and I'd like make it all fun and like read the weather. Cool. You know, and then, okay. And then next song. And it was like for every three minute song, I was like, it felt like three hours. I was like, I just want to turn the microphone on and like say stuff, you know, and tell stories. And so then I, I had a news class where we got to make kind of like a news package and learned how to like, you know, do that and sound bites and things. And I was like, that's a little bit better because at least I'm yeah. reporting. I'm like saying more stuff, you know. But then it was literally did somebody. Did people love listening to you? Did they, did they see in the know. halls be like, hey, that was great or no? I don't think so. No, no, no. I never got. I don't think anyone listened to the radio at college. <laughs> like the college radio it was pretty small school. I don't think people were really into it all like that. Oh, my God. And, uh, and so it was kind of like, yeah, you know, it was, I was just learning yeah. how to do it, yeah, you yeah. know. And uh, and then then they said in, in some, you know, workshop or something that I went to, they were saying how usually you start in radio where you make about twenty five thousand dollars a year. And I was like, wait, what? That's less than a teacher. And I hate this equally to, to elementary school <laughs> teaching. Why wouldn't I just be a teacher and make at least $10,000 more a year, you know? So so instantly I was like, that's out. Like that is not going to happen for me. So yeah. I was like, I got I to gotta find something else to do. So then that's when I was exploring a bunch of majors. And I, at the time, kind of just figured, I just have to get enough credits to graduate and then I'll figure it out, right. you know? yeah. So anyway, I ended up, uh, when I transferred, got the elementary certification, went to, uh, a you have to do substitute teaching. So I did that for a semester. And I remember my substitute uh, supervisor. So she would have been the third grade, the actual third grade teacher, or maybe it was fourth grade or something that I was uh, like, um, not substitute, uh, student teaching under. 
And she, I overheard her tell a colleague that I was not cut out to be a teacher. Oh, gosh. Like, oh, she's not, she's so into, because I, I, I was a good teacher. I was a very good teacher, but I was theatrical with everything. Yeah. So I wanted to make everything a game and I wanted to make everything like arts and crafts and I wanted to just play, you know? And, and so it was, so she was like, no, this girl will never be a teacher. She'll never, you know, and I was good. I, would, I was a straight A student. Like I was excellent at, at what I was doing, but she saw what I did not yet see, which mm. was the entrepreneurial vision of myself. Yeah. And I think, you know, overhearing that, I was like, she's so right, you know? And I was into pageants and th- things at that time. And her comment was, she's just into pageants. She'll never be a teacher. She's just, in-. and she was meaning it to be, uh, you know, like a, a negative thing. Right. Yeah. But of course, what we know now yeah. is that was a very positive thing, yes. you know? So, yeah. So, okay. So you were already into pageants at this point? Yeah. I started in pageants when I transferred schools. So I, I was at Westminster College until sophomore year and then transferred schools to Slippery Rock. And at that transition time, I had not really gotten into dance. I, I really wanted to dance in front of a big, big audience. And there was a pageant in my local town that um, had it was held in a grandstand that seated at our fair. It was at a county fair, and the grandstand seated something like two thousand people or something like this. And I was like, "Wow, that would be epic if I could perform in front of an audience of two thousand people. Wouldn't that be cool?" So I joined the pageant, and they have a talent portion, and. I start working on my talent, working on my talent every day, working on my talent and, and was able to perform. And about a week before, I, I didn't want to win the pageant. Yeah. I wasn't doing it to win the pageant. Yeah. I just wanted to dance in front yeah. of I was going to say your talent was audience. probably dance, right? That's right. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, about a week before the pageant, I was like, I called my sister and I was like, Amy, I think I might actually win this thing. What happens if I accidentally win this? You know, like, I don't want to win. And I should I quit? I was like, should I just drop out of this pageant? Because yeah. if I win, that's a whole year of serve, community service and stuff. And it's like, I don't have time for this. And I don't know how I'm going to fit this in. And it's a lot of work. And you got to do this and this and this. And she goes, oh, this is, you know, horrible wisdom, which she did not have about pageantry, but it was brilliant at the time. She said, oh, don't worry. If you win, you can always just give up the crown the next day. And I'm thinking like, oh, "Oh, that's a great idea. You're totally right. I'll just tell them never mind the next day. Well, then about three days later, I I decided like, no, I do want to win this thing. And it was like my competition just came out roaring, you know. And so I ended up kind of getting, you know, three days before the pageant or four days before the pageant, I got getting more serious about it. Like, okay, yeah. now I really want to you know, get focus and stuff. I did end up winning that pageant. I still don't think it was had a whole lot to do with my preparation strategy. It was really just more of somebody needed to win. Yeah. And so, you know, so. I happen to be up there naturally based on my natural abilities. And it started for me this like absolute delight for service yeah. and for helping ah. other people and for really... Um, because like I, I mentioned previously, always before my desire for the limelight was ego. Right. It was, I wanted to be on stage. I wanted to be. Yes. And when I finally got this position, I was now like, wow, this position allows me to serve other people. It's giving me a platform that I can actually influence and draw people in and, and kind of like make other people feel great wow. and that was a, a really really cool experience and and then I did well and so I continued competing um and that was in my 
20s, like early 20s. Yeah. And so continued competing, realized that when when you want a pageant in your local community, you got to know everybody and everybody got to know you. So it was a great opportunity to meet local business owners and to really network with like the mayor of the town and to get to know other other women that were competing and stuff. So it was, so in moving from Pennsylvania and then moving to Illinois for graduate school. I competed there again and got to know the community one and got to know the community there in, in California. When I first moved to California, competed again, got to know it again. So it just, it was a cool hobby that allowed me to learn about my community. Yeah, and, and, and I serve. love that, how it turned into, maybe I, I don't want to do this. And then, yeah. because like you said, you're doing it for yourself, right. ego, That's ego, exactly ego, right. but then you're forced to serve others yes. when you win. Yes. And that just sent your whole life on a different oh, trajectory, yes. right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I love this story. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. All right. So, um, by the way, mm -hmm. have you ever thought of having your own podcast? I have a podcast. Oh, yes. gosh. I didn't even... Yeah, so Forgive win me. a pageant podcast. Oh, that's right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah, and and I started. I just the meant podcast. like, so is it all about pageants? It is. It's all about pageants. Yep. Because I think you should also ah, do yeah. what what I'm doing here. Yeah, we do some interviews, and you know, pageants. I think there's a huge misconception that pageantry really is about the makeup and the hair yeah, and all of yeah. that, and and you know the those things are a part of it in, yeah. in, in a similar way to how, you know, walking the red carpet is a part of being a movie star. Right. But the movie star part is, is the part that's the hard work, you know, studying your lines, trying them in 12 different ways, you know, getting into character, all of that. And for a pageant woman, that's the stuff people don't see. It's yeah. really doing the, the digging, the personal development that's right. necessary in order to set oneself aside in order to pursue a larger purpose of service. Ah. And so the the podcast shares strategies that, that my podcast, When a Pageant, shares yeah. strategies about um, and really makes it very step by step. Yeah. So pageantry, the way that it's scored is extremely subjective. It's not like a volleyball right. game where yeah. just the ball hits the ground and boom, it's over. Like, yeah. okay, that's yeah. side out and move on. You know, they get a point, whatever. But instead, it's subjective. So, and beauty really is in the eye of the beholder. And so when... What what my what I train my contestants to do is to understand the psychology of decision making, mm. and so when they are wanting to be chosen, what is it that the people in the audience and in the judges panel really are looking for to select? And it has more to do with the judge themselves than with the contestant. Right. And so it's about instead of holding the mirror to one's self, we have to hold the mirror to the judge themselves and help us draw out the best in them. We, we love people who draw out the best in us. Yes, that's attractive, you yeah, know? Like yeah. when, you, when you, you feel like that's a beautiful thing when they are drawing out the best in you. And so that's what I train my ladies to do. And so it's a, wow. it's, it's, the podcast really is more strategic and more about, you know, the mindset and uh, personal development aspects. And so, so go ahead, let's pitch this a little bit here. Mean, meaning like, um, can anybody benefit by listening to that podcast? If they're looking to like, give me how other applicable practical ways that your podcast, yeah. even though it says win a pageant, right, right. Like yeah, could, could we could we say win at life? Could you even change that? Yes. Do you, yeah. you know what I mean? Yes. Meaning absolutely. for somebody that's coming that's not going for a pageant. That's right. Yeah. You know what's interesting, JD, is like for the last so I've I've been now pageant coaching for over, I don't know, it's probably been fifteen years wow. or so. And only started the online 
you know, winnipageant.com only started about 2015 when my podcast launch, first launched. Yeah. That's when I got real serious about, okay, I'm going to do this full time now. And um, what I found was that it pageantry attracts, it's a hobby. Yeah. It attracts women who are into personal development. They want to grow themselves personally, usually for the long term, even though pageant preparation sometimes is three months. Sometimes women join a pageant three months later, they have the pageant and then, then they move on to life. But it attracts women who are into personal development. They want to grow. They want to step into a bigger calling. It attracts people who, women who have a calling and a skill set for influence, mm. which is not everybody, but these women know they're not afraid of a microphone. They're not afraid of stepping into the spotlight. And they they know that there's a skill set that they need to learn in order to make that doable. Um, so, so it attracts that, that type of woman. And it attracts a woman who's not afraid to serve. And I think that's the thing that those three characteristics of women, and, and I think it's particularly women, you know, those three characteristics are, are not always found in men, but those three characteristics in women is extremely powerful mm. because it allows when done within authentic femininity, it allows her to step into a place of influence beyond what a lot of other places would allow her to do. And so I just think that it's, it's, so yes, it is all, everything about pageant prep really is about life preparation. Yeah. Um, I, my book, my tagline is um, pageant coaching for on stage and in life. And a lot of our reviews, you know, I, I when you were sharing about reviews, yeah. it's so important to leave podcast reviews, like for listeners that are listening right now to leave yes. a review on this pod. It is so important because it helps the host to direct the conversations because then you'll get that feedback on your reviews and you'll be like, oh, wow, this is the thing that's that's helping th that people love. Yeah. This is where I'm going to take the show, you know, and and I found that too, that, that people in their reviews were writing like, this is something I, I'm, I'm having my granddaughter listen to this with me or, wow. you know, and I'm thinking your granddaughter, like, well, how old is she eight? And so then how old are you? You know, like, I'm like, this is cool. Like these people are not even ready to like step on a stage, but they're attracted to it for the wisdom. So they, yeah. my listeners listen to my podcast year round season after season because they know they don't, it's not just the strategies for their competition period, you know, it's strategies for life. Oh, I'm so glad we got mm -hmm. on this. Yeah, yeah. Yes. It's pretty cool. Yes. Yeah. Um, I love that. So um, what was I going to say? Um, okay. Oh, average average age of your yes. clients. Mm -hmm. What is it? It's, a, it's, I would say it's around 40. 40? So, 40 years old. Yes. So my, I know it's shocking, right? Yes. To think that like, wait a second. So there's pageants 40. for 40 year old women. Yes. And in fact, they they are so well positioned for influence because of wisdom that they that they've gathered. So pageantry, the there are two, maybe three really big pageants that attract a lot of media attention. Miss America and Miss USA, Miss Universe. Miss USA and Miss Universe owned by the same organization. Those three are sort of like they've been around for decades and they sort of got pageants started on the map. In the last probably 20 or so years, there have been hundreds of other pageant systems that have popped up all around the world and mostly concentrated in the United States. And 
they all have similar, many of them have similar titles. The the Miss United States of America yeah. and the Miss United States World and Dr. Senior World and Dr. Senior America and Mrs. America and Mrs. U.S. And, you know, there's they're all very similar. But they have different um, scoring processes that value differing, differing things. And so Dr. World, for example, is only for women that have received their doctoral degree. Wow. And it's cool that there's a whole pageant just for that. There's um, senior pageants that are just for women over a certain age. Petite pageant, Petite USA and Petite Universe that are just for women five, six and under. And there's Miss Wheelchair USA. There's there's a pageant. And this is the cool thing. This really only just started within the last like 20 years or so yeah. where pageants started to become because of these this shift in pageants used to be, which the Miss America system has started the shift in this. Miss USA and Universe still sort of hold this um, truth of beauty only. Right. And there are other pageants too where they say, just just score the most beautiful girl. We don't really care what she says. We don't really care what she's doing. Just score the most beautiful girl. Those are pageant systems that we typically do not work with because we don't, I don't want to coach a girl just because I'm, I'm not an expert in beauty. I'm not going to give you plastic surgery to make yeah. you the most beautiful girl to win this pageant. You know, it's not worth it. Um, but what, what, so those, those do still exist. But in the last few 20 years or so, um, I really believe since social media, we are now seeing the faces of many different people that aren't necessarily the most beautiful, like we would see yeah. on the red carpet always. Now we're seeing real people that have actual wisdom and have true influence and have this opportunity to actually change the trajectory of other people's lives, no matter how they look. And so that is what is now really being honored. And what I found was that when when women start to think about pageantry, they think about all the things they see, the makeup, okay, I got to fix my hair, I got to get my makeup right, I got to have a beautiful wardrobe, I need to lose millions of pounds, whatever. They think all these things, which is so untrue, because right now, the way that people as judges value others and want to choose others is less about how beautiful they are. When, when someone is, you know, there's that song that says everybody harbors a secret hatred for the prettiest girl in the yeah, room. Yeah. And it's like so true, you know, like we see like the most beautiful person and we're like, oh, like she's so far out of my league or, you know, I could never talk to her. She would never be my friend. And it's not endearing. And real people are endearing, you know, and that's that's what I'm finding is that they need to be real. They need to be authentic. They've got to have a confidence that allows them to pursue the vision God's given them that will take them to this level of influence that other people are attracted to. I can't believe the average age is up 40. 40, this is right? Cra- How old yeah, are you, by the way? Yeah. I'm either 37 or 38 right now, I think. <laughs> I don't know. I lost track. You know, I always wanted, I couldn't wait for age 32. I was like counting down to th- since, since age 16. I was like, ah, oh, 32 is going to be like a great year. I can't wait for 32. What? I always just thought like at 32, you're going to know, you know, your, yeah. where, your career by then you're probably going to like have figured out like who your spouse is or, you know, your friends for life. And sure enough, at age 32, I was engaged to Randy. I had the most dear sister friends and knew my, I had already launched my business by then. Like, so 32 was, was my year. So now every every now forty four is the next one I'm looking forward to. So I better 44. I better start counting. Where are you mm-hmm. coming up 44. with these numbers? I don't know. 
know. I don't know. <laughs> all right. So, all right. Let me, I got to hit on this a little bit more because I'm so glad it came up because when I look at the beauty contests, I almost get, and this is just being completely transparent. Like when I watch it, I almost, I feel like, I'm like, oh, they're being so subjectified. Like I just, mm. like, ah, I don't know. Like, why would you do that to yourself to be just subjectively judged? But you're putting a, such a different spin on it mm. that these women, it's just, it's not all about the beauty thing. It's mm -hmm. about making an impact. Yeah. It's about their calling, mm -hmm. right? That's right. So That's right. So just um, hit me with it just a little bit more here as far as, like um, to, 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 to dispel the myths. You've already yeah. touched on it a little bit. Yeah. But everyone that we're looking at these, pat, like, you know, when they come out in the bikini yep. and the things yeah. and the, you know, like. Right. So, but it's a lot more than that. Yes. Yeah. So I, I do think that there's something to be said for um, the way that a woman presents herself in, uh, in front of an audience. And when you are presenting yourself in front of an audience, whether it's in an evening gown or in a bikini, there's a level of, um, a ne for, for pageant stage, there's a necessary level of both confidence and grace, meaning that there's a difference if you put Nicki Minaj on stage versus if you put, you know, the first lady on stage. Yeah. They're going to carry themselves differently. And I think that, the pageant industry wants the femininity and the grace of a respectable lady yeah. versus somebody who doesn't know, you know how to carry themselves or would feel shy in front of an audience and things like that. So what, what the misconception is is that it's often about the perfect body or that it's about the you know skinny girl with the big yeah. boobs and the, blonde, the long blonde hair and things like that. But what's, what actually gets scored the best in most pageant systems today is the woman who, no matter what she looks like, owns the room. And she can walk in just like she would walk in in a business suit yep. or she would step onto stage in a full-length gown. She's going to walk in with an appropriate outfit that fits her well, that flatters her figure, whatever it may be. She's got her hair and her makeup looking delightful, and she's put time and effort into that. And, you know, there are seasons in a woman's life where those things are not important, you know? Yeah. Like, it just is not always important because it just can't always be. And there are even days in the week where you're not going to be able to think about that every single day. Right. However, when the situation presents itself, you know, if you are invited to have tea at the White House, you know, you're, you're going to want to dress a certain way. And we need to know that you, as the representative of this pageant system, you're going to know what's appropriate. And so that's really what they're looking for. How does the dress fall? How did she choose that? Does that color even even mm. suit her well? You know, so gen generally uh, experienced judges are looking beyond what the audience is seeing. That's why sometimes there's a winner that's like shocking, like how'd that girl win? What about that gorgeous girl in the back? And it's like, mm. well, yeah, that girl, gorgeous girl in the back wore that mini skirt. Like, what was she <laughs> thinking? You know, so sure, she's hot, but like, that's not appropriate, you know? So it's things like that that um, really uh, help, you know, femininity and beauty are are different depending on the audience, right? Yep, and and so we can parallel all of this mm -hmm. to basically a personal brand. Yes, right. That's right. Like uh, how a, a man. Let's you know, men are out of this conversation. So women. 
Yeah. The way they carry themselves, the way they look in public, the way they look like, like when Rachel and I go out, mm -hmm. we never just say, ah, screw it. We're just going to look like slobs today. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Because we're, we've got a personal brand we got going that's here. That's right. That's right. And we want to set the example yes. of someone that's got it together, making moves, yeah. making a difference, impacting the world, mm -hmm. right? Setting the best example possible, as I said, right? So yes. this is all about a personal brand it is. of it who is. you are, how you carry yourself. Com and confidence is, nothing's more beautiful or attractive than confidence. Yes, yes. Right? Yes. And with my clients, we start first with the very first thing we do is a deep dive into branding. Yeah. And we pull out their values. Wow. Because your value system, the, those things that you just mentioned, you yeah. know, we've got it together. That's something you value is, is like, hey, we want to look, we're pursuing goals. You know, all those things you're describing are your values. Yeah. Those are things that are important to you. Right. You value those things. And everybody has different values. What often happens when people are not feeling confident is when their actions are not in alignment with what they find valuable. Mm. And so we have to first understand what is valuable to you and not to the world, not to you, what you think the judges are looking for, not to what you think the pageant is expecting of you, but what's important to you. And now let's align. We have an ABC, appearance, behavior, communication. How do we align these three areas to your personal brand? What are the areas you're already aligned with ABC? And what are the areas, your appearance that we can improve to align with your value system? How can we improve the behaviors that you're doing to align with your values and your communication? How do we do that to align with your value system? Then once we, once we understand like this is their brand, this is what they stand for, now that woman, when she's starting to act in alignment with those values, now this woman is able to show up on stage very confident because she's like, I know what is important to me and I know that I'm living those things out. And that's the confidence, what you said, that's yeah. extremely attractive. Yes. You know, even if it's something completely different, it's so attractive it when it's when it's their personal values that they're walking out. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I talk about this all the time, like, and we'll, we'll talk about sales because our whole life is revolved around sales. Yes. We're all selling each other on something. That's right. No, whatever, what is, doesn't have to be a product, doesn't have to be a service. It, it can be anything that you're doing, you're selling. You're mm -hmm. selling yourself. And the number one trait of a, of a very successful or effective salesperson is confidence. Yes. It's number one. Yeah. Number one is confidence. Mm. Like when people come in this store, when they deal with me for 30 minutes in my education, what I know about mattresses and the sleep and the human body, like, you know, I, I know, I know what I'm talking about. That's right. So, God, I love this. And you know, part of it, JD, is the way that you look also gives you authority yes. to speak to the human body. And so a woman walking on stage who is, you know, if she doesn't look like she has the authority to speak about the thing that she's promoting, then that's, that's what the trust is lost, yes. right? And so that's why the physical appearance is actually important. This is so, this is such a great thing that we've mm. gotten on here, and and ladies, li, my lady listeners, we got a lot of them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> anyway, for those because I've talked to a lot of girls recently at the church that I'm helping yeah. them with a brand, a personal brand. Oh, on, on, like, listen, first thing you got to do is is uh, number one 
form of uh, marketing is word of mouth. Yeah. Social media is word of mouth on steroids and they're giving mm. to you for free. Yes. Run with it. So mm. start your personal brand now. Personal brand is generosity. Personal brand is um, the way you carry yourself, mm. being happy, mm-hmm. being joyful. That's a personal brand. Yes. Hey, I know they're always so happy. Yes. They always look so happy. This person's so generous. These are brands. These yeah. are all things. So my point here of getting back to what you're saying is tune in because they can tune into your podcast now. Mm-hmm. And learn all about a personal brand. Yes. Right? Yes. Uh Even if they're not in the pageant. That's right. If they're doing this for their social media, they're doing this for their um, whatever they're doing, their business. Yes. you know, you can help them. Yes. Right? Yes. And our, we actually have several clients who are not competing in pageants that have joined our program because of the fact that they are learning all these other pieces. They are building passion projects that they want to get out into the world yeah. and they want to learn how to speak about yes. the things that are important to them in a, in a short and concise way, in a confident way so that they can express it and get it out into the world, you know? And yes, personal branding, that's awesome that you're helping people because really it is key. And, and you know, it, there's this um, concept in coaching that when you are inside the jar, you're not able to read the label. Mm. And so a coach is able to help you see yeah. from the outside, hey, here's what you're made of. Here are the ingredients that make you awesome. And so having somebody, you know, like you're doing for these gals, having somebody else speak in life into you and say, hey, this is what you, this is what I see yes. in you. Yeah is so, so valuable. Because we see, from our own perspective, we see all of our flaws. We see all the things we've overcome. We see right. who we were and who we want to be. and But not necessarily just, well, here's the best parts of who you are right now. Mm-hmm. I love this. This is so good. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's go, let's fast forward now. You said you got engaged to Randy. Yeah. All right, so let's get into the um, Randy. And then, so did you guys, when you first met, give me, give me your thoughts on, uh, you've got one daughter, Yes. So, right. So yep. far. Yep. Do we know what? Uh, we don't know yet. We don't know. Okay. Uh, um, and so when you were at what point we're like, okay, let's get, let's start having kids. How did that happen? Yeah. Did you like, Hey, let's do this. I want to have kids right away or no. Yeah. No. Give me the whole so scenario. Growing up, I didn't know if I w- wanted kids or not. Okay. And I know a lot of women, they grow up knowing they're always going to yeah. be a mom. Yeah. And that wasn't the case for me. I wasn't like, you know, I'm never going to have kids. I never said that, but I was just like, I don't know. It might not happen. That's fine too. Yeah. So I, I had this sort of like, it could go either direction. So when he and I got married, we we were like, you know, let's not start trying right away. Let's um, give ourselves a year to just be together and then we'll start trying. So a year in, we into our marriage, we started trying and it wasn't happening, wasn't happening, wasn't happening, wasn't happening. So about four years, uh, maybe three years or so later after this, and you know, for women who have been in this experience, yeah. the trying part is exhausting. Right. It's exhausting. It's so that, you know, every month you're let down and it's just, it's a, it's a very, um, it's an emotional experience. And so at some point I was like, huh, this is getting like, I don't even know if I need this. Like, I don't even, I don't know. Like I never needed a kid. Like I have to have a kid or something. So how about we just have a different vision for our lives? And so I was trying to give it, convince Randy of like getting on this, this like whole different vision. Like I was like, what if we, and I had had all these cool ideas. Like, well, what if instead of having ch- our own children, what if we started like, I had this cool idea of like starting a, um, camp basically or or like a like a uh, like a program 
for uh, 17-year-olds in the foster care system. At 18, they're they're no longer able to be in foster care. And so I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we gave them like some life skills? You know, we, we helped them like open a bank account. We helped them get their first apartment. And we did all of this while they were still in that final year in the foster care. So, you know, anyway, I had this whole idea of like all this fun stuff. That He was like, what? No, we're starting a family. We, what are you talking about? We're not gonna have time for this right now. And I really wanted him to get on board with this whole like other yeah. vision. And it was mostly because I was exhausted of not achieving mm. the vision that we had set out. Now, fortunately for me, four years is nothing compared to what many women try for decades. But also, exactly. So on that note right there, tell me about your feeling because we, Rachel and I went through this. Oh, okay. I mean, two to three years at least. Really? Yeah. And I remember every month when she'd get her cycles, like, ah. Yes. And I would never show that I was disappointed oh, ever. I'd be like, hey, baby, that's right. wasn't meant to be. Good for you. When it's meant to be, it will be. I'm telling you 100% this is going to happen. Meanwhile, yeah. behind my back, my both fingers were that's crossed. Right. My toes were crossed. Yeah, I'm like, please, please, God, please, please, yes. please. But she was so dejected every, and it got worse and worse, the, deje yeah. the, the, the dejection of like, yeah. oh my gosh. So talk to me about that. Because yeah. this is now a relevant topic for a lot of women that's right. that feel this and they get upset. They get um, frustrated. Like you, you're, you yeah. just actually, you know what? Forget this. Let's just go a different way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I... During this time, I knew that I did not want to explore any alternative right. ways okay. of getting pregnant. So I, I knew that if it was if I wanted it to happen, it was going to happen naturally. I didn't want to go IVF. I didn't want to go um, any of these these other routes. And so, and that was that was mostly because I and and this is like God is so good. I believe that this is because. I did not have this like burning desire, like I have to have a child. Like it's yeah. an un, un, you know, met portion of myself that needs to be realized. Like I never felt that way. I was just like, it's cool if it doesn't happen, you know? Yeah. But I, I knew Randy really wanted to have a child and I was open to it at the beginning of our marriage. You know, we're in love and we're like kind of creating this life together and things are going great. And, but then it wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. And, and in, you know, for a lot of women, there everybody's try is different. Mm, Our try right. was lazy. <laughs> it was very lazy try. It wasn't like I was trying all that hard. You know, it wasn't <laughs> like I, I know some women are taking their temperature at the same hour every yeah. you know six oh four every single day. And you know, this was not the case it's for a lazy me. Try. It was a lazy try. Yeah, and so, <laughs> but mostly because I w I was not fully. You know, I am like zero or a hundred. And yeah. so this was an area I was kind of a zero in. I was like, eh, you know, like I've got other things. I was building my business and, you know, creating our marriage and we were traveling all over the world and all doing a lot of other things. So it felt like a lower priority. And I knew I, for me, I was like, I want, I didn't know that we were going to have trouble. And so it felt like, uh, you know, a, a lot of the story that women will tell themselves is like, this is what a woman is supposed to do. And it's the one thing that a woman is meant right. designed to do and I can't do it. And so we mm -hmm. sometimes can personalize it. And fortunately with a fitness background and things like that, I, I was kind of like, you know, there's probably something else happening. Dr. Matt ended up introducing me to his nutritionist and Dr. Matt, the chiropractor, yep, we yep, both know and love, yep, yep. and uh, introduced me to a nutritionist who was an endocrine specialist, hormones. And uh, in six months, she helped me correct some of the internal things, gut health, liver health, mm. things like this that were not functioning properly. Wow. And so six months later, we conceived. No kidding. Yeah. And it, and it, and 
I, it was an, so, so it was like, I wasn't looking for solutions. I really wasn't looking for the whole time. I was yeah. kind of like, you know, just like, whatever, let's just give up. Like, I don't need to find these other solutions. Let's just, yeah. whatever it happens. If we need to, to force the issue. That's right. Then I'm it's, not doing it. Uh, exactly. Like, like, that's not the e-by-viet, all this stuff. That's and that's right. kind of what I told Rachel. I said, I don't want to yeah. go to these other means. If it's not meant yeah. to be naturally, but it's going to happen naturally. Trust me, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, anyway, yeah. So I feel you. Yeah. So then when I was introduced to this nutritionist, I was like, well, that's great. Like I, and I knew that there were other symptoms I was having that I was like, Hey, if a nutritionist can help me with this, like, let's go. Yeah. And so then I, I healed a lot of other issues of, of my health through that process and then was able to conceive. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. So talk to me, uh, about the, uh, any, any stories about the pregnancy or when, when baby came, how did that go? Oh, what? it was turbulent. It was, you know, it was very turbulent. So um, I was older being, you know, I was pregnant. So I think I was probably, I think I'm probably like 38 now. Yeah. So I was probably 36 or 37. I love how you don't even really actually like, know. Yeah, I know. I was born at 84. So, and it, someone could do the math. Like I think 38? Yeah. So 84, let's see, that's 13 years behind me. It's, that's it would 38. Be even number. Okay, yes, 38. 38. Yeah. So, so I think I was, so I probably was like maybe pregnant at 36 <laughs> and gave birth at 37, something like that. So that's like older um, yeah. than a lot of women. And so, and and my health was not excellent. Mm. So, you know, I had had previously adrenal fatigue, which is part of what uh, we healed in the nutritional uh, experience. And so it, it, that caused a lot of other issues. So I, did, I wasn't fit. My body was not strong to physically carry the weight of a baby. And so that, and then my nutrition was, was still, you know, only six months healed. So it was like, there was a lot of other issues right. that impacted mm. my pregnancy that made it, um, what I would describe as very difficult. My favorite part of pregnancy was how close I felt to God because I was like, he's doing this and I'm basically along for the ride, which was so cool. Like I was like, really? And and I knew in my heart, I knew that there were, birth is a miracle and it's not just the miracle of the birth itself, but of the, all of the transformations that happen in body, mind, spirit to experience that that birthing process not you know in in from from everything that takes place to conceive and then all the way through the birth and then even for years after that just just kids are miraculous like that what I they know. It's, it's unbelievable it's unbelievable so so the pregnancy was tough and in my la around 37 weeks I had an SI joint issue, so I wasn't able to walk. I was kind of like hobbling around, which was awful. And I didn't know it. So I, and I have like a high, very high tolerance of pain. So I kind of just hobbled around and I had no clue, like, why is this hurt so bad, you know? And uh, it was really a strength, a lack of strength around, you know, and, yeah. and other, other areas of my body. So anyway, so, um, and then the birthing process, we were planning to do a home birth with a midwife and, you know, kumbaya, all the things, you know, yeah. which usually I discovered later, that is typically what people do for their second child. Usually not a first child is like yeah. a home birth. And now I know why, because I had no idea what to expect, you know, so I'm right. like laboring at home, like, is this normal? And, you know, the SI joint pain, I had back pain, I had, you know, it was just like crazy, you know, like, which, which. I really feel most, uh, probably 95% of birth stories are turbulent. Right. And For sure. It's, and I think that we want it to be the perfect experience, but I think that there's strength when it's not. And 
So it was not. It ended in, you know, 24 hours of labor at home, being taken to the hospital, another 20 some hours of labor there that ended in all the medications that we did not want and a C-section. And so, and I was not educated on a C-section. And so you originally uh, were at home for home birth? Yes. The midwife came, the whole team came, we blew up the tub and like, yeah, but what's interesting is like so many pieces of that were falling apart. Yeah. Like the, I, I, I don't, you know, it, it's hard to know because I was kind of, kind of like in a different world. When you're in, in labor, you're not present. You're in a completely different world. And so there were things that were happening. Like I remember one time she was like, here, let's go to sleep. Like I was nine centimeters dilated, which you only go to 10. Yeah. And she's like, let's go to sleep. The midwife lays me into bed and like tries to get me to go to sleep. Like I was crazy. I was like, why are we doing this right now? But my brain, I, you know, you're not thinking when you're yeah. in labor, you, your brain goes to sleep. And so... Anyway, I was just kind of like following the motion. So, yeah, so we were at home and then we needed to to transfer. When, when so, did they know? Like what happened? Did they knew that you needed to? Well, it was my midwife. Um, there's something about legally they're only able to allow you to uh, be in labor after your water breaks for a certain amount of time. Ah. So for my midwife, it was 24 hours after they were, after your water broke. Got so it. my water had broken that morning. And so I knew that if I didn't have the baby that night, then I would I would have to be transferred to, yep. the, yeah. to the hospital. And so we get to the hospital and God laid everything out for us before we arrived, which I did not realize until after the fact. But like we had, we were the only people on the labor and delivery floor. There were no other patients on our hospital floor. We were the only one. So we had all the nurses in with us and stuff, which was awesome. Um, we had the best care, the best care there. They were, where they were was phenomenal. This? this was, and I can't remember, remember the name of the hospital, uh, maybe Palomar okay. or something. Yeah. I can't remember the name of it. Um, and then this doctor in San Diego who in all of our crunchy community was saying that if you were going to go with a doctor, the best natural doctor to go with is this Dr. Cobb. And it just happened. Dr. Cobb walks in the room and he's like, hello, I'm Dr. Cobb. I'm the doctor that's on call tonight. And we wow. were like, what? This is crazy. Like, how cool that that's the, do-, you know. So it just, it worked itself out beautifully. It did, it did not go the way that we wanted to go. Yep. But, you know, it... I know that it was meant to be in that way. I showed up at the hospital nine centimeters dilated and then sat at nine centimeters for like another, I forget how long it would have been, another probably 12 or 15 wow. hours. And so it it just, the baby didn't want to come in that direction. It wasn't, yeah. that wasn't going to happen. And so the C-section was necessary. And thank God for modern medicine because- right. If not, I, I don't know what would have happened. I, I, I'm not sure that I would have been able to give birth, you know, yeah. vaginally if if not, you know, this. So anyway, so. Um, what what, did, what was your thoughts when they said we're going to have to do a C-section? What did you immediately think then? Because I remember we, oh, we, yeah. we were literally three minutes away from them calling right. it and doing a C-section. It's at 11.15 wow. p.m. She can't do this anymore. She's been pushing for three hours and 15 minutes of pushing. Yeah, wow. Of straight wow. pushing. Yes. That's a long time. That is a very 30 long 30 something hours of labor. Oh my. Three hours, it is 11.15, we're calling 11.13, Jacqueline popped out. Wow. That's because the umbilical Praise cord was God. around her neck. Oh, wow. So every time okay. she'd come out, pull back in because yep. the umbilical cord kept yes. pulling her back in. Wow. Freaking incredible. Wow. So anyway, what? At, but I remember when when they said we're gonna have to do a C-section, the, the, the operating room was set up, everything was ready to go. Wow. And then, and she, I saw the look on her face, she was horrified, like yeah. she didn't want a C-section. Yeah. What was your thoughts yeah. when they said C-section? You were like, no, or? 
Actually, I was relieved. I was relieved. So I had, I had some, at some point along the way, I, my spirit knew this, I kind of knew like how it was going to end. Yeah. And no woman wants to have a major surgery and then take care of a newborn immediately. No one wants that. Um, But I felt like, you know, I, I'm, I'm at peace with this. Like I could do this. I, I think it's fine. I, I think that's what we, I think that's what we need to do. Yeah. You know, I was, I was really fine with it. Um, I, re- I remember I was so fine with it. I was like, okay, like we made the decision. Did it up. Yep. All right. We called Dr. Matt. Cause we were like, what do we, you know, this is a, this is different than we expected. Any advice? He gave us some incredible advice. And what was then his advice? Do you remember his advice, his advice, two things. One was release it. Don't give it any energy. Don't, don't make it a thing. Yeah. So oftentimes there's a, like you described Rachel having yeah. a, it feels like a disappointment right. to have to do that. Yeah. It feels yeah. like oh, bummer. I really wanted to have it, have this other experience yep. for these 20 million reasons. And, um, so it, it feels like a letdown. It feels like, yep. a, and Dr. Matt said, do not give it energy. Don't make it a thing. Don't yeah. make this like a bad thing or something. Just like, right. it's just a, the other alternative, yeah. you know? And I loved it. I was like, yeah, he's right. Like, this doesn't need to be a thing. And then the other piece of advice was, you know, when the baby comes out of the vaginal canal, there's a compression that happens on the lungs that help the baby to then start to breathe. So when the baby comes out of of the C-section, that doesn't always... Now, there's there's some... There's ways that doctors... You know, and I, my doctor was like, oh, I can do this, that, whatever, to try to make it happen. But so the advice that Dr. Matt had given us was to stimulate the skin of the baby through like rigorous massage, you know, like kind of so that the, because the other breathing organ is the skin. And so if you can kind of get the skin to kind of have that sensation that will help the baby, you know, to breathe. Well, our child was so healthy and so like cried immediately, like all the things that you want to hear when your baby's born. So it was such a beautiful, we were, we were so fortunate in that. Um, but yeah, so I was, you know, kind of like, okay, sounds good. Let's do it. Like, I was like, that's good. We should have probably decided this eight hours ago, right. you know, like it felt like that was what needed to happen. And and as it was, her positioning was such that her shoulder was like in the way and there was yeah. like, she was like, you know, facing the wrong direction. And there were, there were reasons why, you know, she wasn't, I wasn't dilating to 10 centimeters. So I was, ne- I never pushed. Um, so I know that, oh, that wow. uh, yeah. So, cause I was at nine centimeters. I wasn't yeah. fully at 10, fully dilated. So I wasn't even to the place of pushing yet. So anyway, it was, it was a, it was a turbulent experience. And then after the fact, you know, I, I think just especially sleep te- deprivation and hormonal crashing and all of these things kind of led me to wanting to place blame on basically anybody. Like, who can we blame for this other than yeah just the circumstances, you know? And so then I was like, well, let's blame the midwife and let's blame the, and we like couldn't find blame. We were like, no, like everybody did their job. Everybody did the things. It was just Mm. the situation was as it was. And so it, you know, it was still something I needed to process. I wanted to talk through. It felt so foggy because in labor, I was sort of not paying attention and wasn't really, you know, connected to the experience. I was so out of it. So yeah, it took a while to process it and to really come around to like, this is just, it just is what happened. Like, let's not give it any energy. Like, let's just be like, this is what, this is how it happened. Like, end of story. Yeah. Because it is common that when things go awry, Mm -hmm. that there's like blame game going on. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, it's because of this, because of the midwife, because of that, right? 
It's inevitable. And like, why did this happen? And why did this happen to me? And am I not healthy? And was there something I could do? And and what if the midwife, what if we did an ultrasound before? Could we have discovered her positioning? And yeah. would there have been something? What if I went swimming 12 days before? And could I, have, you know, it was like all that coulda, woulda, shoulda, which again, that's, that's not really my default, but because of the situation, having had a major surgery that I was trying to recover from, having major sleep deprivation, taking care of a newborn, the major changes that kind of all happened so literally overnight. And then my body was trying to regulate. And I think like from those places, you know, like just as humans, when we are at a deficit, whatever that may be, sleep at a deficit of nutrition, at a deficit of of joy, at a deficit of whatever, we tend to go to negative things. And so I think that it was like a deficit in every different area. And so then it was so easy for me to just go to all the negative. Yeah. And it really took Randy, my husband, to kind of stay in the positive. You know, he he I'm sure was sleep deprived too and had an emotional roller coaster himself, yeah. you know? Um, but in a different way. So he was able to be a support for me through that, you know, reckoning. And so, so talk to me about that. You and you and Randy moving forward, because I know that I know I know it's very common for when baby arrives, daddy doesn't get much uh, as much. Well, husband doesn't get as much attention. Or what happened? How did yeah. that go? Was it smooth? Did you guys was it, it was hunky dory? Not at all. No, yeah. not okay. at all. Talk no, it's totally probably very textbook. Um, very textbook. Textbook like disaster zone. Um, yeah. So we. Thank goodness we love each other and thank goodness we have an incredible community and thank goodness we have resources that we are, were able to go to. So we knew we didn't, we actually didn't know things were off for a while. So for the first two weeks, I was so in love with this baby. Like I would look at this baby and just be like, my heart is exploding with love. Like I just, it just was uncontainable. It was just so... And then I would look at my husband and he and I would be like, he really needs to do the dishes, you know, or like whatever, right? And I remember feeling that way about him when we first met. I had this heart exploding love. Like I couldn't contain it when we first met. And now that was transferred to this little baby. And so there there was definitely this like, you know, and I was on the couch for two weeks. It was so hard to move. I couldn't laugh. I couldn't cough because of the C-section. There were many, many other issues too that were, you know, causing sort of a, um, a strife with he and I. Like yeah. if I had just gone through the surgery and there was no baby, it still would have been tough, you right. know? So, um, so anyway, so then what we discovered later, so, so after a few, it was probably... Our baby didn't sleep through the night until about nine months. And so we were up multiple times in the night. And at first, my thought process was, oh, well, my husband's working, so I'll just do the night shift. And again, high pain tolerance. And so I was just like, I'll just do it. Like, it just seemed like, you know, I'm all in. I'll just, just do, this is what I'll do. And about two weeks in, he was like, babe, I don't think you can sleep on this couch any longer. And I was like, I was sleeping upright on the on the couch, sitting up on a couch like that's not even comfortable you know but I didn't I wasn't registering to me that that was what is even happening and so I'm like oh yeah I don't have to sleep on the couch forever okay let's move me to the bed you know like so then I started moving you know it was like things like that that he would notice like why are we still doing this so where was the baby where where did you have the baby she would sleep in my arms oh wow yeah I would just sleep here I would put my feet up on the ottoman and she would sleep right in my arms and nurse in the nights and you know and I I, he would get up for diaper changes you know a couple times in the night he would I would call him on the phone in the bedroom and he would come out and and help with the diaper change and then I would stand up and use the restroom 
bathroom and fill my water and like yeah yeah this went on for weeks so then um Anyway, so then months go by and around 10 months, she started, you know, nine, 10 months, she started sleeping through the night. And so that's when I started coming back to my brain. You know, I started being like, oh, like I started having more uh, in all the meanwhile, I would have moments where I would just like explode at him. He would do something small and I would just roar like, yeah. this is so wrong. La, 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 like, you know, but it was from a place of this pain and like a, uh, out of body experience that my mind could not, you know, and he and I are super into personal development. So we're all yeah. like, we know how to communicate. We have like regular meetings and all this, like we're really great at communication ordinarily, but this was more like animalistic because I was like totally disconnected. And so I would just like, like scream about stuff that would be going wrong. And later we ended up getting connected to Dr. Brian Reeswig. Have you interviewed him yet? I have not. Oh, you I gotta, gotta get him on here. You definitely I gotta do. Get him on Man, here. that guy is so so good. So good. It's so. I just got goosebumps because he popped into my mind about two or three days ago. Oh yeah. Because you know I have a long list of guests. You were yeah. on it from day one. Mm -hmm. um, finally, the Holy Spirit lined us up. Yeah. And that's what I'm letting. And then that's letting great. the Holy Spirit bring people to me as well. Yes, and Brian was one where I saw him at the marriage thing and said, "Ooh." Okay, so and then good. two days ago, and now you mentioned him again, so I yeah. got. I'm going to reach out. Yeah, you got to. Yeah. You got to. Dude, the dude is unbelievably just dialed in. And, and so, by the way, he's a marriage. Was it marriage counselor, marriage yes. therapist? I don't know the difference, okay. but yes, that yeah. Uh, yeah, he that. helps people and who are married and struggling. Um, so we were like, okay, we got to see this guy because we could not figure it out on our own. We yeah. were trying. Randy and I were trying to like have more conversations and try. And every time we would bring something up, it would just crumble. Like it was just we would be mad at each other. We'd walk away. So one of the things that we learned through Dr. Brian and and, and you know. There's a, a, mo a mountain hill of the things that could discover. I'll give the tip of the iceberg was that Randy and I, our coping strategies were, were to go to independence. So when, as a couple, when we felt that it's called attachment styles, and this is what we learned from Dr. Brian, yeah. and that there, everybody has a different attachment style. For Randy and I, which is somewhat uncommon for a married couple to have the same attachment style, um, usually they have opposite attachment styles, which helps them to stay together. Ours was the same. And it was such that um, the attachment is, is you know, to, to oversimplify it, it's either when you feel a threat or a lack of trust, you either lean toward the person overly where you're like texting them all the time and they better text you back and like did you you know do you love me and you know they yeah. need this neediness or you say that this there was a breach of trust here there's a there's a something is broken here so I'll just cut you off. I don't need you anyway. I'm just going to go do it on my own. Well, Randy and I are that. We're this uh. very independent. So if there is some level of like, you know, breakdown, we're just like, you know, never mind. I'm good. Well, so this happened when we first had the baby because there's a lot of stuff going on and everybody doesn't know what their role is and all yeah, this. Right. So there was that break of, of you know, it, it breakdown in the system. And it and it made us both want to say, never mind, I don't need you. But in that situation, we actually did need each other. Of course. And so while both of us were attempting to move away from the other because we felt like the breach was coming from the other person, so we needed to, to get away and be more independent, he was doing that away from me, and I was attempting to do that away from him, but I physically couldn't. I physically needed his help. I was incapacitated. And so 
what what then happened was I took sort of a shift toward him and and went to the needy place because I need I actually did need him. And so my attachment style then kind of flipped to begging for help and begging for, you know, and he was like, yikes, this is like not attractive. And so then it pushed him even further away. Oh, wow. And so to look at this sort of like, as we called it, a dance of, you know, the pattern of what was going on really helped us to see what was you know, then then when you take it to the personal level of like we could use this this um, theory, this pattern to help us understand what was actually happening in our real life situation. And that's the thing that helped us be like, oh, you're doing it. You're running from me right now. Or, oh, you're doing it. You're being really needy right now. Like, what is it you need? And so then we would. Would, come, you, each, would you call each other on it? Yes. And it was it has taken we're still practicing it. It's taken a lot of practice because we're so used to not calling each other on it, letting that person just be and figuring out a different way of doing it. Yeah. You know? And so we've realized like, no, we actually do in order for our marriage to be strengthened, we actually have to call one another out on this so that we can get to the root of it. So we can figure out like, oh, this is what it looks like for us. Oh, this is how it feels for you. This is how it feels for me. And so there would be actions like I remember once he was on his way to a business event on like a weekend and I, a Saturday afternoon or something. And I brought up to him like, Hey, just, and I, I thought I was doing it like I should do it, you know? And so I just, I just thought, Oh, this is what I'm supposed to like say out loud. I'm going to try it. I'm going to practice saying this thing out loud. And I was with energy. I said like, Hey, I just want to let you know, this thing came up for me. And like, this is how I'm feeling about it. And I felt like, and it was, it was that I felt like I was becoming the default parent on the weekends. Like he would just like go away for anything he needed to go away for. But if I had to go away, I would have to make sure there are all the bottles there. I'd have to make sure that there's this make to get right down the naps schedule, you know, all the things, but he could just leave. And so I expressed that probably horrendously and instantly, instead of him feeling like, wow, babe, thanks so much for expressing that. Great job. No, it backfired. He was like, what? You're telling me this right before I leave? Like, so anyway, then in a huff, he <laughs> Was he going on a business trip? Yeah, he, yeah, exactly. So then it was just for the day. He had a business outing for the day. Oh, and so, boy. I know. So it was terrible. I, so he came back. So then the next day, it gets worse. It gets worse, JD. The next oh, day gosh. is Father's Day. Oh, no. And I forgot. I forgot about Father's I had oh, planned it Lord. previously because I'm a planner. So mercy. weeks prior, I had like got, got a gift and like all the things. But So you for. I did this in the heat of the him. moment. The you forgot moment. about Father's Day. I, well, I yeah, and I forgot about it. And so then the Sunday morning comes, oh, and I'm like, okay, we're practicing this whole marriage thing. Like we're gonna work this out. Like, so it's Father's Day, and I don't even say like Happy Father's Day. Let's celebrate you, babe. Instead, I'm like only thinking one track mind about how we're gonna like practice this conversation. Difficult having a difficult conversation together to like work. I know it's terrible. It's terrible. So anyway. <laughs> We ended up realizing in the moment, we were like, hang on a second. I think we're doing this wrong. Like, wait a second. This isn't how it's supposed to go. So we both said, okay, hang on. Let's take, can, can we just like take some space? So we walked away for an hour. When we came back, we pretended it never even happened. And it was brilliant. <laughs> like we came back and we were like celebrating and we like had a blast and I like gave him his gifts. And wait, wait, just, wait. Like, so wh- at what point did he realize you forgot Father's Day? I told him. You I told was him? Like, I told him. I was like, babe, I forgot that this is, uh, yeah, because I, I brought up and- all the stuff and then he was mad and so then he left the room and I was like, oh my oh, God, Oh, so when you Father's came Day. back together? 
So pre, yeah, we 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 come back together, and then that's when I was like, babe, I I realize it's Father's Day, and that oh this is God. not what the conversation we need to be having today. Let's go, let's have some space, and then let's come back and celebrate. And so we were so like, before yeah, before you good deal. broke apart. So then we back. broke apart. We spent some time away, like an hour or so, and like whatever, just did our own thing, and then we came back together, and then we just celebrated, and it's what we needed because. It's tough, man. This marriage stuff is like, you got to do it. You got to yeah. stay in it. You have to like, but what I discovered in that moment was that it doesn't need to be the, the constant, uh, like work does not, just like at, at work, you know, running your business and stuff, it's work. You're yeah. going to do the work, yep. but you're also going to celebrate. You can't just right. only do the work stuff. Like you have to enjoy it. You have to have fun with the stuff that that's working, you know? And so anyway, that, that we, but what came of that was that I understood how he felt and why my words impacted him, spe him specifically, you know, like we can all make assumptions about why and, you know, and right assumptions, I'm sure, about why those words would affect him right as he's walking out the door. But I was wow. able to able to understand it from his perspective, you know, and that's what made me say, oh, wow, I, I would never want to do that's not my that was not my intention. Yeah. My intention was just I'm trying to practice this new way of conversating and this this new way of of sort of like instead of just being like, whatever, I don't need you, I'll just be independent, but rather like let's communicate and let's let's do it together. And so, and, and again, I I, uh, I don't know, we talked about this earlier about how, I've talked about it so many times recently because Awaken keeps bringing this to me. Yeah. And uh, like the marriage getaway, I keep talking about that, Rachel and I went. Um, and uh, here's the, here's the, here's the, the most important thing is like, it could be like, well, when do we just know that it's done, stop working on it, like it's not worth it. And let me know if you're with me on this is, is as long as you both are willing to work on it, like you're both really want to work on it. Then you got to work on. Then work on. Marriage is a constant work in progress, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Constant work 100%. in progress. And the whole marriage getaway, we, you were, you were there. Yeah, the whole thing was about you're going to have fights. You're going to be working on it, and you know if you're fighting that it's that it's working. Yes. that was the overall encompassing yes. theme that I got out of that. Yes, if you're if you're if you're arguing, fighting, whatever it is, it's yeah. working. Yes, yes. If you're not. Then somebody in the relationships, what is it, totalitarian or something like that? Yeah, a, yeah. Like, right? Uh -huh. Like a dictator and yes. somebody else. Or, or doesn't give a rip. And yeah, so or doesn't like, care. Like, whatever. Like, yeah, you do you, I'll do me, and we'll just coexist. Right. Uh -huh. which, which, unfortunately, a lot of people are doing. That's right. Right? Are literally going through the motions, mm -hmm. settling. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and and of and they say falling out of love, falling into love, but the, I mean it's kind of yeah. sad actually when you think about it. How it many, is how many couples are settling? Yes, and, and you know I think that there's, you know, just like anything that you know, imagine you you climb a beautiful mountain and it's like difficult training, and then you got to do the actual mountain climb. But when you're at the top, it's like. <gasps> This is such a beautiful view. But if you've never seen the view before, others can describe it to you, but it does, does it really make you want to climb that mountain? Yeah. You got to really want it. And I think that sometimes people, you know, for us, we are still under 10 years married. I don't know, or maybe six or seven years married now. And um, so we, we are still gaining the perspective of what that what that view at the height of the mountain will look like. And so we we got to climb these mountains, you know, and like I know that having children is one big thing that that draws 
couples either closer or further apart if right. they're not if they're not willing to do it. And we're like willing to do it. We're like trying to figure out how to how do yeah. we do this? And it takes practice. And it's like we're kind of stumbling around and it's like not going perfect, but that is the process. You know, like you said, like those those moments, like when him he's walking out and I'm practicing, like trying to say my feelings and you know, he's like kind of like I'm walking out the door, like we're having this conversation right now. You gotta tell me your feelings, you know? Like, well I'm trying, I'm practicing, you know, well I learned from <laughs> that like how what how not to do it you know and and so now i can do it better in the future you know and so and he also learned how to receive it and what my intention was versus what the you know intention he you know what he experienced so it's like that that's the process of like exactly like you described of marriage and and i I know that that's something that dr brian said to me he's like you need to start like causing some problems in your relationship because he said that uh, yeah he was like i'm the one that had all the feelings that i was bottling up and sort of like not expressing and he's like you know your husband doesn't know you feel these feelings and so if you don't bring them up and i don't want to bring them up because i don't want to cause uh you know i don't want to stir the pot and so i'll just not say these things it's fine i'll just do what i need to do and you just do what you need to do and let's just go the opposite direction no 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 that's not going to be the thing that brings you closer Mm. you actually need to kind of stir the pot a bit and be like look this is the thing that i'm feeling and then he your husband needs to recognize that and know it and then he can help to know oh that's who you are that's how you feel that helps me understand you deeper and then that's the thing that brings you closer together as you climb the mountaintop you know and so so what's what's brian's like main from day one the like what does he say about the like when you first meet your what's going to be your husband or wife like like how do you minimize like how do you like how do you make sure that you've either they've You've chosen the right one. They've chosen you. I've always preached to have the talk in the beginning. The t- I call it the talk. Uh, what's the talk? The talk is when you meet someone and you're realizing, okay, this this is going to be the one. You have the talk. And the talk is getting it all out in the beginning. Like, okay, let's go over everything on what our, you know, we've talked about this core values, yeah. our aspirations. Where, where are we going with this? Do, like, do you want to yeah. be employee for the rest of your life? Or do we want to be entrepreneurs? Like Rachel and I said, I said, I want to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. So we will be entrepreneurs together. Are you down with that? Like, so we will live a life of entrepreneurship of going for it and striving and, you know, breaking the, breaking the cycle of, cause her family was completely broke. Mine was, uh, we had no money either yeah. uh, as kids, as a kid. Yeah. Um, I want to break that cycle. So mm-hmm. let's boom, boom. And my point is, um, also, um, the house will be ice cold, like a meat locker for the rest <laughs> of our life. That was in the talk. Yeah. I'm being dead serious. That oh was in the gosh, talk. She's yeah. like, and she's Asian, so she's always oh, cold. Wow. Yes. So I brought oh, it up my. because my mom taught me that. You got to yeah. bring it up before you get married. That's right. Yeah. Or even move in together. Right, right. Because once you move in together and you get married, that's it. You yeah. can't go back. Yes, that's exactly right. There's yeah. no surprises. Yes, yeah. Right? Yeah. So the talk involved all that, like what she likes, what I don't, blah, 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 bing. So that, that's yeah. what I was saying about the talk. You know, so we had that yeah. and we went through the uh, marriage coaching at Awaken. Oh, you the, did? They do like a premarital uh, kind of Even before you got married. Before we got married. And, um, and so we had a lot of great wisdom. We had so many wonderful conversations. But what I have found is that as people grow, things change. Mm. And so the talk isn't always, you know, 
going to be the same, right? Right. Like things do change. So maybe at that time, you know, you wanted to live in a city forever, but now you are diff- a different person five years later, 10 years later, 15, 30 years later. And you're like, you know what? I really want to live in the country now. And so you're, I, I think that the part of that growth is I love the idea of having those conversations because it brings things up and helps you. It helps to facilitate like, oh, wait, you do want that? Wait a second. That's different than what I want. And not that it's a deal breaker, yeah. but that it's like, a you know, we need to be able to understand one another and understand our reasonings and that, you know, you know, I'm, I'm sure that if Rachel was like, wait a second, no, we can't have the entire house. Like, I need to have at least a room I can turn on a little space heater in or something. You, know, you wouldn't be like, oh, deal breaker. You're, you know, this isn't going to work. Like, been. <laughs> one room in the house. Not one on. room. <laughs> oh, my and, I've, and I've raised my kids, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. That need, like, even Jacqueline, it's like a meat locker. So, Daddy, is the AC on? Oh, yeah. Like, because oh, Rachel tried God. to, when the kids came in, yeah, yeah. Rachel was trying to get the house hot then. Well, we can't have Babies the kids hot. It. She's yeah. going to be, I mean, we can't have her too. She's going to get a, sick. She's going to yeah. be too cold. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're not raising our children to be like you, to where you're cold 24th. Not going to happen. <laughs> Meaning that, so, I, yeah. and I'm I'm dead serious about this. Wow. Like, I kept, yeah. and so Jacqueline now, my 11-year-old daughter, is right on the same page that with me. The so house funny. has to be ice yeah. cold. Yeah, holy cow. So is everyone just walking around in sweaters? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's great. Except for you. And every night for 21 years yeah. that Rachel and I have been together, 21 years. Wow. There isn't one single night in 21 years I've never, I'm never really apart from her ever, the family ever. I don't wow. go on business trips. I don't go, I don't do anything. A little bit, day here, day there, that's it. Right. Literally a handful. My point is every night for 21 years, Rachel has told me how cold she is. <laughs> oh my God. I'm not even exactly. How does that make you feel, JD? I, I laugh. Oh my. She's like. This is the woman you love. It's cold. Oh. She'll do the flip thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, baby, you better wrap up. I mean, oh put the another. Goodness. I have another quilt. Well, then put a sweater on. I've got a sweater on. I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? You're like, this was in our talk. This is in the original yeah. contract. 21 yeah. years. Oh my gosh. I'm, yeah. I'm not even. I'm not exaggerating. And you're not Every, budging. So what's no. her thing? What's her thing that you, she's not budging on? Um. You know how this is with the the. I'm a very uh, uh, overbearing, controlling guy, right? I love mm-hmm. controlling everything, but she's this. She lets me be a man. However, how even though I'm supposedly running things, she met, she lets me feel like I am. Yeah. But really, Rachel runs everything. Oh, right. Well, thank God. Exactly. <laughs> so, because, but she makes it seem like I'm, yeah. you know, running the show. Like but a good she's woman. literally running everything because wow. I will never do anything if I don't think she's on board with it. Like yeah. when I feel, when I can tell when she's not on board with something, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, all right, you don't want to do that. No. So yeah. I check in with her yeah. like constantly, yeah, but great. it's, uh, and you, you, you know this, you're probably the same way. Like if you ever feel like your husband is like telling you something to do, yeah. like if right. she actually thinks I'm like telling her what to do, right? like in two seconds, it's an, ex- forget it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like uh-huh. that's a, that is like, n- no, so. I can feel like I'm kind of running because I'm a master planner. Like yeah. I'm an obsessive detailed planner of a whiteboard in the kitchen oh, okay, yeah. with all the dance schedules, the Taekwondo schedules, the football, yeah. church, uh, date night. We celebrate date and we'll get back on that by the oh, way. Yeah. Uh, date nights, boom. I have everything to the T written out. I'm a master plan. I'd love yeah. to facilitate. Cause you know, once, once your children are at the age where they're doing sports and dance, yes, Jacqueline's right. in dance six days a week, three hours a day. Wow. Yep. So I love doing that. 
She knows I'm really good at it and I love doing it. So That's fine. Right. Yeah. But if I ever, if it ever seems I'm like, I'm actually telling her what to do yeah. like for one second, it's, oh my gosh, yeah. forget it. It's an explosion. <laughs> oh, that's great. So other than yeah. that, I, I don't know. She's just the sweetest, most kind, Aww. most giving, most loving, yeah. most, most amazing woman that yeah. God delivered to me 21 yeah. years ago. Oh. Um, and I'm to this day, I thank God that she yeah. has arrived or I, and my most proud accomplishment in my life is the fact that I was somehow able to attract that most beautiful human being into my life. Wow. That's my yes. most proud accomplishment at the business, the yes. podcast, all this stuff. It's the fact that I attracted Rachel, the sweetest woman on planet earth yes. into my life. And to maintain it for 21, 21 years. years. Yep. That's 21 years. Huge. We are yeah. as solid, if not more solid wow. right now in every area, spiritually, emotionally, spirit, uh, every area of life. Our, our intimate connection is we are literally 21 years in the closest we've ever been yeah. and an awaken in the last year and a half has has brought us even yes. you know channeling now god and christ coming you know so yes. it's like crazy but yes. i love these yeah. cuz we're still but we have our tiffs we have our little That's thing right. but made me realize is that hey if 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 you're arguing if you're having tiffs it's working That's right. all right so get let's get back to what you you had said something about um marriages and uh we talked about celebrating right celebrating yeah. Yeah. Rachel and i make it a thing to celebrate pretty much every week, if not every other week. And by celebrating, I mean, go out on a nice date night. And I yeah. talked to Randy about this, by oh, the way. Yeah. I did, I did. I was oh, like, good. I'm good. like, I'm in your life for a reason, bro. <laughs> You're gonna design the most incredible date night for Alicia. We're gonna design, we're gonna get it going. When we're, was this? Uh, I know, I'm I working, can't wait I'm, still, to experience I'm still working on it. <laughs> Because clearly it hasn't completely happened yet. <laughs> yeah. But I said, we're going to design oh, everything cute. from the car service to yeah. the restaurant. Oh. She's going to dress up and do her yeah, thing with the thing yeah. with the makeup, like the pageant oh, days. That's and right. Yeah. So anyway, um, talk to me about, uh, talk to me about just that. Like, because we get so caught up yeah. with the businesses and he's going, right, he's right. huge in real estate. Yes. Um, you've got your business going on. You got the, the your daughter. Yeah. So how do you find the time? What do you do when you're intentional about having some time for yourselves? What do you guys do? Yeah. So we've found it has to be on the calendar okay um we both are because of the nature of our management styles and being ceos and things like that we really do do whatever's on our calendar if it's on the calendar it happens if it's yep. not it doesn't happen when our daughter was first born of course we never thought that it would be as hard as it was to uh it was it was pretty hard on me and i and i'm sure a lot of it was because i didn't i didn't i wasn't around a lot of babies and even a lot of children. So I had no idea what to expect. And I just assumed it would be great because that's often what you just hear. But yeah. it was very difficult. And it was hard to like manage everything. It was hard to have the business. You know, I just didn't know how to, you know, I had to find a nanny. And it was like all these new, 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 new things. And so a lot of the things that we had previously had in place naturally fell off. There was no calendar. I, I could, couldn't have a calendar because I was like, I'm just trying to like stay alive right now and like figure things out. And so we got away from a lot of the things that we that were part of, you know, the weekly date night, and the, yep. we would have yep. a um, business meeting. Like it was, kind of, it was like basically like an executive meeting between the two of us that we would just talk about all the stuff that needs discussed. You know, so like trips that were going to be coming up, and did you do this, and did you do that, and and hey, how about like how are we doing with the groceries? Are there any new groceries you want me to like weave, weave into the mix? And any any meal that you haven't had in a long time that you're like want, craving again like just all the things that were uh, that we each shared in different roles we would do that regularly 
we stopped doing that because mm-hmm. it just we were just trying to like get yeah. through the days, you know. And so and it and it lasted for way too long that that neither one of us mostly because neither one of us wanted to do it. We didn't want to see the other person for so long. We were like, oh, this is just like we're just trying to like get through. Like I have so much to do, you have so much to do. Like we just wanted to just get through the day. And so neither one of us were really like, hey, remember how we used to like regularly meet for this and this and this? It it wasn't happening. So um it, it would kind of like happen at random. Like it'd yeah. be like, oh, hey, by the way, you know, we need to get a gift for so-and-so. And oh, yeah, okay, let's figure that out, you know. <laughs> but it wasn't anything that was like happening. So stuff just, balls got dropped left and right everywhere. So when we started seeing Dr. Brian, of course, we were reminded like that was, it, I think it was even right before we started seeing him. We were trying to fix stuff on our own. But there was a wound and we were unclear what this dance was that we were doing. And so the wound kept getting reopened and re-exposed just because it hadn't healed yet. You know, it was like we we hadn't really been able to deal with that. And so it was like this, this you know, brokenness that we were trying to like do all the other things. Let's go on a date night. Let's do this. Let's yeah. do this. And it wasn't, but we hadn't healed the thing mm. yet, you know. So um, anyway, Dr. Brian helped us kind of heal that thing and get back to, hey, here's the stuff. And, and we know that you know, there's seasons for things, you know, we, he and I are, are, he is actually extremely consistent. And like, very much like if he says he's doing a thing, it will get done. I'm more of like an ocean wave, like I might change my mind and decide we're going to go somewhere different today, you know, like, so it is, it was different for us to navigate that because I was easily able to just say, and as a new mom, I didn't want to leave the baby and, and even leaving the baby, it's kind of like, you got to make a big list and you got to have all these things prepared. It was like so much extra work to even like go away for the evening. So, so there was like a lot that we were trying to navigate, you know, and I think we're, we now have that experience. And so we have a little bit of a better grip. So when the next baby comes, we'll, we'll be able to create a better plan. I think of like, how, how do we want this to really play out best case scenario? And then worst case scenario, what are the things that we want to make sure don't fall off the face of the planet? You know, like I'm okay with, we miss a date night for a month. Like that's okay. As long as we're still feeling connected in other areas, you know? So, um, uh, yeah, so I don't know. Did I answer the question? I can't yeah, remember yeah. what the question no, was. No, this, okay. <laughs> this is good. So, so we're going to um, – now, speaking of new baby, what yeah. are you going to do differently coming into this one? Like coming into this one – by the way, does your bed elevate like zero gravity and all that stuff? It, we used to have one like that, but no, no. not this one that we have now. Uh-uh. But that's Is good, it a king? Is it a king? It. Uh-huh. Okay, so here's what you need to do for the next yeah. one. Because I, I, when you were on the couch, I was like horrified. I know, me too. Get a split king <laughs> – which each one goes up and down independently. That's good. That's what Rachel and I got yeah. before baby number two. Oh, that's good. And it was the most incredible thing because then she was able to elevate, feed, bing down, bada bing, bada oh, boom. Good. Daddy's over here sleeping, right? Yep. You're, yeah. be, you're still in the same bed. Yep. Yeah. That's so anyway, great. that was huge for us, baby. By the way, zero gravity, ladies and gentlemen, real deal sleep. This is zero gravity, dual activated mattress uh, with massage feature too, by the way. Excellent. My, my point and is- And so it has a frame underneath it? Yeah, is, yeah. It's the movable piece correct, of it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So it's like a memory foam on the top? It's whatever you want. Oh, got, that's great. Whatever, I love memory foam. Whatever okay. you want on top, memory foam or latex. Latex is okay. my best right now. That's, oh, okay. That's the softest, most pressure relieving, but oh, supportive, yeah. Okay. It's the number one rated bed basically in the industry right now. Oh, so you, it's like you're floating in a cloud with support, mm, which is what you need because that, that way your sciata, anything is yes, not yes. going to act up. You can get memory foam too. I have that as well. 
but then you each have your own control that way for you being able to sit up if you want yeah. to when you feed because that's all you are is a feeding zombie yes first, exactly right? yes for months you gotta uh-huh. get out you gotta go put the prop up the pillows you gotta yes. sit in a chair oh, it's a nightmare but with is. her right or we did just hit a button sit up feed bada bing bada boom anyway getting back to what was i saying <laughs> I got off on a tangent there. So what are we um, going to do differently yeah, yeah. for this What's kid? Gonna We're going to get this this bed and okay, this mattress Okay, besides dual-operated, yeah. zero-gravity mattress and sleep system, what uh, what coming into it, planning between the two of you, yeah. like planning-wise. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like getting good. a plan of attack down. What are you going to do? Yeah, that's, you know, that's the million-dollar question. Yeah. I think part of it is knowing our strengths. So one mm-hmm. of the things that I know Randy is world-class at is negotiations. Yeah. This dude will negotiate anything yeah. and he does it what's what's beautiful is his integrity is so strong that every negotiation that he does comes from a place of integrity and for a win win so he never is dur- doing like dirty negotiations right. it's all it's always and what it was so great about that i saw this in both with working with the midwife when he he had to negotiate things with her yeah. while she was at her home in the heat of the moment he handled it so so well like it's it's miraculous what he was able to pull off and then at the hospital the hospital is an entire negotiation. Like the entire time you're there, you're constantly like, no, we don't want this. And okay, we'll, we'll sign this thing. And no, we don't want that. And they're like, oh, okay. Like it was nonstop. They were trying to kind of like keep us there because they they didn't, they weren't going to release us. And we were going to have to like basically escape the hospital. And if you if you leave the hospital without a release, sometimes your insurance won't cover the hospital stay. Oh so we're like, ah, oh, C-section, you know, that's going to get expensive oh, yeah. if we just like leave. So he had to negotiate this whole and kind of like fight for us to be able to be discharged, you know. So anyway, that is such an incredible, you know, skill set that is necessary, not just in the birthing process, but even in the time after the fact, you know. And I think um, we didn't use that enough that that skill set that he yeah. has to manage and to negotiate a win-win. And instead, I kind of just like let him do what he was doing and I was doing what I was doing instead of saying like, babe, can you figure out a win-win for both of us right now? Like, how can how can we make this situation good for both of yeah. us? Just go. And like, let, let him just like figure it out, you know? And instead, I was so like, no, this is how I think it should be. But my brain wasn't functioning. So I shouldn't have been the one figuring that stuff out, right. you know? So I think like understanding, you know, and as you get to know, just like how you were describing Rachel right now, the only way you're able to describe her so deeply is because you know her so deeply. And it's the going through the, the trenches that gets you to know her so well. And so to, but when, when you avoid those trenches, you don't really get to know the other person that well. So you kind of want to be in there, in there with them, you know, because you get to know the person, you understand them so much deeper. So that's that's what I think that now that he and I, we feel like we've been through the trenches, you know, we're able to like understand each other differently. So I, I think that's going to be trusting one another fully and completely for the areas that we um, have strengths in. And then also recognizing, you know, going through that experience, I for the first time had in my life, I, I never before remember losing all control mm. of my emotions of my physical body, of my, you know, thought, my thought life, like, I really felt like I had no control over my thought life. Like, I I really was so sleep deprived, like, I could not think clearly, you know, it was like, so bizarre. And 
So I really needed him to think for me, but I didn't have words to express that. And so the the words that I did use didn't adequate, adequately do it. I, I remember one time we were, this was in the early months um, after we'd had the baby, we were on our way to the chiropractor, like, you know, from our house, it's about 45 minutes to an hour drive to go to see Dr. Matt. And it's totally worth it every single time. Oh, yeah. And uh, so... It, on the drive, I had brought a cup of coffee in a mug I, just because it was just kind of my my habit. I just made it. I put it in the mug and I walked into the car and sat down with like a hot co- coffee in my hand. And Randy looked at me and he said, hey, do you want me to put that in a to-go cup for you? And I and I remember just looking at him and I was trying to answer the question. Okay, so hmm, I have a cup of coffee. It's perfect the way it is, but do I want a to-go cup? Would that be beneficial? Like, and it was like in my head. This whole thing was happening, and and just in that moment, he was like, "Honey, hand me your cup. I'm gonna put it in a to-go cup, okay?" And I was like, "Okay," <laughs> like you know, like just like, oh my god, it was stuff like that that was like so crazy, you know, and. It, and we know now that it doesn't need to be that way. It was that way because of I was mourning the experience of the birth, mm. you know, like just like I didn't get it the way I wanted it. So there was there was I, that was a, yeah. you know, depressed state. So there was that was happening. My sleep was I was not sleeping during the days at all. I was uh, my mom had visited for a while. So I was like up talking with her all day. And then I was up with the baby all night long. So sleep deprivation was extreme. Yep. Um, there were a lot of other habits. I wasn't making healthy meals and I didn't have language to describe the meals I wanted to eat. So I was eating like chocolate bars a oh lot. God. Like during the day, I would like eat, I would be so hungry and I would just like eat a chocolate bar because I needed the energy because I had no sleep. And it just was like all these things that um, were happening that were like, I felt out of my control. Obviously, all of these things were within my control. I just didn't have the capacity to be able to manage them. So I know that all that stuff, and it's this is such a, I'm like already thinking like, gosh, I, I can't wait to listen back to this and like yeah. take notes about, yeah. yeah, these are the things I'm gonna do different. Like I'm gonna have like a meal plan going into it, you know, and yes. like these types of things that I know that it, it doesn't need to be a horrendous experience, but the first time you do anything, yeah. It's it's never it's not perfect. It's never nothing's ever going to be perfect. Never. But the very first time you do anything, it's the it's it's the worst you'll ever do it. You know, yeah. and so I'm like, the next time we do it, it's going to be that much better. Yeah, and, and ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, never, never like it's never perfect. It's never perfectly smooth, but that's okay. That's yes, a part of the journey, and that's that's kind of attributed to the same thing in life. Yes. You know, the more trials and tribulations we go through, the more we grow, the more we learn, especially when we go through it together. Like you said, in the trenches. I love that. My wife and I, Rachel, everybody thinks that I'm just the guy with real deal. I'm not. Rachel was in the trenches with me from the first year for the first five, five, actually the first 10 years of real deals existence. Rachel worked with me uh, seven days a week. Wow. Um, in the showroom for five and then through marketing for the next five years. So for yeah. 10 years, Rachel helped me build the foundation of Real Deal. Yeah. Nobody realized that. Everybody thinks Rachel's yeah. just the housewife and takes care. Right, right. Rachel does a million more things than me, but we're in the trenches. So she runs the house. She runs the kids. She runs She runs everything. Wow. She makes all the like meals. She does Wonderful. meal prep. Wow. She's like 20 million more things than I do. I just come yeah. into this, the showroom, the business, and I get all the glory. Yeah, that's it. So anyway, going back now, let's let's land the plane on this. All right. Um, Hit me one more time. Hit our viewers and listeners one more time. I want to go back to what you do for a living because it was so relevant and I absolutely love it. Like 
for people that are listening to this right now that are, and let's go men and women, because this, yeah, is, this right. pertains to both. Um, give me the advice, hit them with some pearls on creating their own, sum this up one more time, because you already did it. You hit yeah. some points that you do on your podcast, um, uh, win a pageant uh, mm-hmm. podcast, right? Um, and guys, you can tune in, ladies especially tune in, because it's very applicable yeah. to every area of your life, not just winning a pageant. Yeah. Um, so hit them one more time on, if they're listening right now, go, where do I begin? Where, yeah. where, where How do I start on building my own personal brand? Yeah, yeah. So um, per- personal brand comes from, you know, as we're describing the trenches and the mountains we climb and yeah. these these things that we go through in life. And as a coach, I work with adult women because as adults, we have seen life. Mm. And when you see life, you can choose to crumble or to gain the wisdom to rise. And the trenches are the only thing anybody even gives a rip about anyway. That's true. You know, it's like no one cares about the glory without the trenches. That's the thing that people want to have help in and to have a partner in and to be, be you know, guided through and out of. And so we we don't work with 12-year-olds or 8-year-olds and things like because they haven't, they're not in the trenches. You know, they haven't seen what my 40-year-old women have seen. And so understanding your personal brand is not the positive aspects that you've it's not the the peaks it's the valleys yeah and it's the valleys that uh how you've managed them or mismanaged them and the lessons and wisdom that you've gained from that is what ultimately and the values that you've realized through those moments is ultimately what is one's personal brand and you know in in working with pageant women this is why i love working with adult women is because we take their life experience and it's often not the glory moments it's the valleys and we say what have you learned in those valleys let's use that to help other people and that's how they are able to create a passion project we call it a legacy project that lives beyond them and serves people you know forever and that's and right now with Pathfinder, they they've incorporated a new thing called the Legacy Project. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. That's they awesome. Did. This is the first season ever that oh, they have cool. a Legacy Project. Oh, I love that. And it's that. just that. Yes. People are creating their legacy and where they're going to be, whatever, ten years mm-hmm. from now, and yeah. they're going to do it in the real time. That's cool. So do the practical thing. Go. What you said was, we're going to start with a breakdown, like your values, right? Your core values or the yeah. things that are valuable to you. Mm-hmm. Start there. And life right? experience. Life experiences. Yeah, so we we have a journaling exercise that kind of helps you just think, sort of like in the Pathfinder's Apprenticeship where you do a a life map, the peak and the valley. What are the highs and lows of your entire life? What are the things you've experienced in your life? And those, and we we ask this question, um, when, uh, of other people who know you, how would they describe you? What's one word when they hear mm. that word, they think of you? What's that word? You know, that other people would say. Because your personal brand, you know, is it, it is not what you see yourself as, yeah. although you will see yourself as this as well. But your brand is descri- is is the way other people describe you. And so it's it's really kind of like a uh, you know, abstract concept. A lot of people want to have like, well, my brand is, and they want to have like a word or something. But it's like, as you described at the beginning about branding, like it's all of these words and they they sort of are like all packaged uniquely in one person. And so 
your personal brand is how other people describe you. And you can have, you know, you do have some control of how others describe you based on your appearance, your behavior, and your communication. And if you strategically plan, what do I want to appear as? How do I want to behave in these circumstances? And how do I, how am I going to communicate about the things that are important to me and the things that, that I loathe? How am I going to communicate that and stand firmly on it? That is what makes up how other people describe you. And that's why your personal brand can shift and change. You know, we've seen yeah. a lot of yeah. a lot of great artists that will do that. You know, Madonna, who had a completely different brand when she first got on the right. scene. You know, Britney Spears has gone through so many different oh brands gosh, yeah. in her life. Like, you know, and it's all because of how others see that person. That person is still the same person, just with new life experiences. So how do you avoid the ego thing? Like what, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, cause we're all living through the eyes of other peers. Most of us live through the eyes of our peers, our entire life of how we think that we're being viewed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I didn't mean to get that cause we can go deep on this I one, know, I know. but it came to me all of a sudden. It uh, came to me. You're, this, you're, you're 10, oh, 10, oh, eight. Oh, ah, okay. So I'll, I'll quickly, I'll quickly kind of share what I but it came think to me, about so, ego. Cause it, cause it comes up me. in pageantry as well. So the, um, the difference between uh, confidence that is one that serves and the confidence that is self-serving yeah. is the two main things that I think that will influence that. It's the source that you that your confidence comes from. So where does your confidence come? Does it come from the material things around you uh. or your own personal, you know, life existence, things like that? That so where where does it come? And second, the voices that you listen to. So if the voices that you listen to are your peers and your community and stuff, and those people are not positive or they are not encouraging or they're not not calling out the things that you need to shift, then you're in trouble. Mm. So that's why surrounding yourself with the right community of people that that actually, and, and allowing voice to the people that can give you correction is so important. So, so, so important. And then the source, where where is this coming from? When I first got pregnant, I lost what I felt was like a beautiful body. I was like a size two. I was like hot looking and it like had like ripped arms and stuff because I was so lean. And then I became pregnant and it was like all, everything started shifting. My ribs got wider. My hips got wider. It was like all these things. Nothing fit me anymore. It's like my whole style had to change. It was like, I was so confused about who is this person in the mirror. And in that moment, I realized, wow, I'm putting a lot of confidence in my physical appearance, and that is destructive. Mm. Like, that is extremely destructive to place so much confidence in a thing that is truly going to change consistently throughout my lifetime. And so instead, the only place that you can get consistent confidence from, the only source that will never change, that will always be the same, that no matter where you are in your life, the only source of that is God himself. And the way that you can get access to God is through reading your Bible because it's words that were inspired by him, written by men, but inspired by God. So it's his heart. You get to know who he is and you get to understand, you know, like the more time you spend with somebody, like we described with our spouses, the more time you spend, the more you ask them how they feel, the more you get to understand them deeper. And so this is how we understand God through through the Bible and through prayer. 
both mm. listening and speaking, like speaking prayers on, that are on your heart, but also listening to what God has to say to you in those moments. That is the only source that will never change. You will always get the same same feedback from, and it will always be positive. It will always be for you. It will never be against you. That's where your source of confidence needs to come from. And if you have that confidence and if you have people in your life who are willing to correct you, then I think the ego will naturally be, it, there will be no room for it. Ladies and gentlemen, that sums it up right there. I just got goosebumps. That was such a good ending right there. I'm going to end. I, I want to go further because I have more questions, <laughs> but that was beautiful. The source got and got, what I realized is because I read the passage to my daughter every night. I'm getting there. I'm learning the Jesus thing. I'm breaking the Bible open a little bit. I'm getting yeah, there, great. but I'm realizing that he, he loves me no matter what That's my right. heavenly father. I didn't have a father. Uh-huh. A physical father, I, oh, obviously I did, but yeah, what right. I'm saying is he, he wasn't existent Present. in my life. Mm-hmm. But I have a heavenly father that loves That's me right. no matter what. 100%. And, and believes in me and has designed me in a certain way to do a certain thing, right? Yes. And, and I love And that. will challenge you and, and will, will push cha- you absolutely. and will ask you to step up to the bar. Yep. Not going to let you, you know, my, my earthly father was like, we don't get B's in this house. We get straight A's. Yeah. So you don't you don't go to the volleyball game if you don't if you come home with a B you are not going you, you got to focus you know and that type of standard you know it raises the bar and that's what God does for us He challenges us yeah. to say no no Big no time. that's not who you are right this is who you are step up to the plate that's not who I designed you to be that's right that's exactly right and then like you said most importantly who you're surrounding yourself with community and I can't wake in church we, oh, we could go out a whole podcast on that oh, alone I know. So if you're in San Diego and you want to get, you want this type yes. of surrounding, come to Awaken. Come, just come to one service and if it feels good, which it probably will, if it doesn't, no big deal. My point yeah. is who you're surrounding yourself with is the most important thing in your yeah. life on where you're going. <sighs> this was great. This was great. Yeah. Alicia Zimnock. Oh. I love saying that. Name. <laughs> hey, JD, before we close, yes. I just want to honor you for a moment oh. because I... You know, having only known you for just a short time, but seeing your involvement, and as you said, like, I'm still getting to know this whole, like, Christian walk, and what does this even mean, and how do I even do this, and it's been so cool watching you get come to awaken, get plugged in. And I, I remember I first started hearing just JD, JD, JD yeah. when I was attending Dr. Matt. We would we would yeah. be at Dr. Matt's several times a week and oh, JD, JD. And then you you had the massage chairs there that yes. you sell and like, oh man, those are the best. And it was just so cool to that your reputation preceded you. And so then when I met you, I was like, no wonder, like this guy is so for people Mm. and so encouraging and so willing and interested in raising other people up. Like you mentioned, you're helping some gals at the church that are working on their personal branding. Like this is who you are, is somebody who wants to lift everybody, you know? And it's so cool to have experienced that in your reputation alone first, then having met you and to see you just engaging, you know, it's and going all in and being like, you know what, I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve in a team. I'm going to be there every Tuesday night. You know, I'm going to do all the things. I'm going to show up and get to know the people. I'm going to, it's so awesome just to see how your personality, your skill sets and everything and, and, and also just your reputation preceding you in such a beautiful way. And like, an authentic way, it's encouraging. And I'm just so grateful that you're a part of our community Aww. because it's going to increase our everybody around us, you know? So it's Aww. awesome. So thank you for what you do. That's amazing. Did I say we were out of time? I think we have more time yeah. for that. <laughs> you want to keep going? No, just, that was amazing. Thank you. Seriously, I'm like so humbled 
to even hear words like that. And ladies and gentlemen, it's, this means so much to me that people are even listening and watching and telling me about it because all I want to do is design this to give other people a voice and also voice that other people can be inspired by and learn from. So your podcast today, this interview has been, I can't wait to get the feedback on this one. Mm -hmm. So many women, even probably men that, you know, for the things you said about your podcast, it, this has been amazing. Thank you for the yes. kind words. I appreciate it greatly. And it's, yes. it's my pleasure. Believe me. Uh, well, thanks for having me on today. Oh, thank you for coming in. It's been an honor. Alicia Zimnock, Real Deal Talk. That's a wrap, baby. We're out. Let's go.